How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan, David Haw. Patrick Mahomes wasn't even mentioned in the final five MVP he did candidates. Make, he's not the finalist. Doesn't make the yeah. cut. And, yeah. and he's the best player in football. Well, you know, he's never won when he's on the road. Now he's won a couple of road games. It's one of these things where he's above the rest. He's just, as you say, Jordan-esque. The ceiling is the roof. You take for granted what Patrick Mahomes is capable of doing because he does it without a lot of effort. Or he, and that's a, he, It's easy for him, but it may, he makes it look easy. He just has a way and a knack for making the, the difficult look simple. Coach Reed, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, Patrick Mahomes. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. on 670 The Score. You guys rock. Let's go. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Oh, we're having some fun this morning. There's a lot to go through. There's... Uh, Super Bowl news and uh, interesting information floating around out there. We're anticipating a big victory for the Bulls tonight and the <laughs> Raptors come to t- I don't know what we're at. Morning, Molly. Yes, it is Tuesday. January's dwindling to a precious few days left. Wow, it's already almost February. Almost spring training. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Yeah, things to be fly- are flying by. Things are flying by right in front of us. Yeah, <laughs> not literally. You know, it's just it's a figure of speech. I I have to say, you mentioned the Bulls. They have the Raptors tonight. Uh, yeah, it's at the, least it's something to watch. The the Super Bowl uh, preview and the conference championship aftermath. I'll say this: I did not expect this morning to get up and to read about, hear about the commissioner of baseball. Looking at the White Sox plan in the South Loop and calling it a game changer. I didn't think I'd wake up saying they can finance it without taxes. I didn't think that either. But it appears that those are things that are in play. Rob Manfred talked to Greg Hines at Crane Chicago, and it's it's, it's an exclusive interview, and congratulations to them for following up on this because it's a potential big deal for the city, for the White Sox. Game and changer. It's a game changer. Game changer. New According stadium. To Rob Manfred. Yeah, well, he's right. New I'm, stadium projects can energize an organization in a way that you can envision this doing for the White Sox. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, um, 
Was it Bruce who told us it was going to happen fairly quickly? It could happen faster than we thought. Bruce did last week. He reiterated that Saturday and inside the clubhouse. I think he believes that. And so yeah. it continues to gain steam and momentum. And Mayor Brandon Johnson is talking about conversations with Jerry Reinsdorf. And I thought at some point before now, if this wasn't, if this wasn't, didn't look imminent, boy. You, 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 somebody would tell you, stop talking about it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, literally the minute we talked about the story, my, uh, I was so on it. I think we called for people to bring their shovels. There's no shovels. Let's start digging there. Let's start digging up the site. If there's an issue, we'll find it immediately. Let's go. Chicago Architecture Tour, we're going to, we're going to create a new one. We're going to have like, uh, the discovery tour I, where you just dig up whether it's a body. I don't know what's left there from the 19th. You think we're going to find bodies? 20s or I, I'm just saying there used to be some serious crime in this town. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Used to be. Yeah. Back okay. in the day. I don't think we need snow shovels anymore. The ground is softened. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I think it's pretty nice outside. I, well, I just don't know who has like spades floating around. I think I have a spade in the garage. Yeah, not, yeah I, I do. When's the last time you really used it? I mean, I have one, and Listen, I used it during the snow. I like yard work, so it wasn't that long ago. I used a, I, I used a shovel. You didn't fix a fence for two years. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> How do you remember that? <laughs> How do you remember that detail? <laughs> I, I used a shovel, I think, as recently as November. Really? Yes, For a November. little project in the backyard? A little project. A little project in the back. You have a little... Pet cemetery? No, gosh, we keep our we keep our our, our former pets, dearly departed pets, uh, in a box, ashes in a box. Oh, ashes! Wow. Yeah. So you have them? Yes. Humanely? Yes. That's pretty wild. It's you know, it, it's not if you've done it five times. Do you talk to them? I don't talk to them. My wife okay. might occasionally brings her comfort. We've I had- um I always flushed our stuff down the toilet. That's so sad. I, but it was mainly that goldfish. That is so sad. It was goldfish. Oh, come on. You don't compare your goldfish to my 16-year-old golden retriever, please. I, I, I don't know why you're getting upset. I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying. getting upset. Why do you want I, to make me weepy? I, I loved my goldfish. <laughs> it was one of the kids' first. What was his name? We had two. They were Rock and Swimmy. <laughs> Okay, I didn't you're making those them. up. I swear to God. You're making that up. Rock and Swimmy. Why There's no way you named a goldfish Swimmy. <laughs> no, but my daughter did when she was about five. Okay. I still stand by the point. With due respect to Swimmy, RIP, don't compare a goldfish to a golden okay. retriever. There was, there was also Bubbles and Mr. Bubbles. <laughs> Mr. Bubbles? Mr. Was, Bubbles. So was Bubbles to differentiate from Bubbles. Who knows? <laughs> Mr. Bubbles was just a lot bigger. I just wonder if you okay. was like, You know what I mean? He was like so, the Arnold Schwarzenegger the of, of Goldfish. He looked like a mister. Yes. Mr. Bubbles. He, uh, he was treated he with took, respect. No, he took nothing from nobody. That That's like, I remember one Those time worms were no match for Mr. Bubbles. Sitting at some game or other, killing time, you know, one of those... Games that never starts, and someone came up with this. I guess it's a thing, where the the name of your first pet, and your um, either the I think it's the street you grew up on, yeah. or the I've heard this your mother's maiden name would be your porn star. Yeah, right. And um, I I think 
I don't. I, I apologize if I get this wrong, but I think Bob Laguerre, his name would be Speedy Benzali, which I thought was just hysterical for 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 that. Someone else had like Jaws was their first pet, but I was thinking like, what about like, you know, Mister Bubbles Linden? What kind of a name is that? <laughs> That's not a very uh, alluring name at all. Mister doesn't Bubbles exactly Belmont. roll off the tongue. But I'm also wondering then, does that mean your first pet was your daughter's goldfish? No, no, no. I had a I had a dog okay. when I was a kid. I was making sure. We had a dog. And what was the dog's name? The dog's name was Towser. I don't know. Towser? No idea where that came from. That's an unusual name for a dog. Towser. He's yeah, a good dog. Towser. What? Yeah. Every day. You liked the dog? Oh, I loved him. Really? Every, every day he'd run away, I would not and I that. would cry. I was like four years old. <laughs> and then we would go out, wander around, looking for him ostensibly, come home, and the dog would be sitting there waiting to eat. You <laughs> yeah, know? right. So I, I don't really want to carry this on because I don't want to know what happened to Towser. Yeah. Towser. I, I fear that Towser didn't come home Towser one night. Towser 82nd place would be my porn star name. Really? Yeah. So – uh, where mine, the, mine south would side, be, where the streets have no name. Mine would be George Dalkey. Now that sounds like you could be like an English actor. George Dalkey. Starring George Dalkey. Just won a Golden Globe. George Dalkey. George Dalkey nominated George for. George Dalkey's yeah. performance of Hamlet. <laughs> Breathtaking. <laughs> yeah, George was my first uh, uh, beagle. Oh, that's a good That name. didn't end well. Um, Here's how mine ended. You want to know? My my We went to Ireland for the summer, Okay. <laughs> With my mother, who was from Ireland, and we came home. My dad, who had to work and only could go for two weeks, he came and picked us up. And the three of us are in the back seat of the car, <laughs> and he tells us that um, oh boy that he that he that Towser he gave him to a farmer, and he was running the fields, and he had a great life. And farmer, I, and we just started crying. Oh boy! And then I found out I don't know maybe ten years later. That that was a metaphor. That yeah. he was basically telling us that the dog was dead, and my brothers knew that, but I was a bit younger. Did you ever find it, out how? It, um, no car. No, he denied any knowledge of the situation. And if you <laughs> if you would bring it up to him, you would often get a. <laughs> was that your first reporting gig? <laughs> Trying to find out what yeah, happened to Towser, asking the I tough should've. questions. Should have done that. I think you should have asked a few more questions. I, I, I don't care how lo- yeah, young you were. I was were. very young, and I didn't know they were that I was being lied to. I really thought, well, at least, Dad, he's, at least he's Dad, on a nice farm. We're on the south side. What farm are exactly. you speaking about? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. It's so true. Where's the farm, Dad? Yeah. The, the farm is run down I, on my, 83rd My story Street. is more tragic than that. My what? beagle ran away outside of our house in a small town. And was hit by a car. Yeah. And I was five. Well, I mean. And it was not a, it was not a good memory. That's horrible. Thank you for yeah. that, Molly. Sorry for bringing that up. Thank you. Well, you still had your pet chicken or your sow or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> we did not have farm animals. We did not have any. I did not live on a farm. I know you I did. I grew up We've in rural Indiana, it. but I did not grow up on a farm. I worked on many farms, yeah. but I did not grow up on a is, farm. Is a cornfield technically a farm? Is it's it, on. If it, the cornfield is attached to a farm, yes. So is, is that is that known as a corn farm? <laughs> no, it's just a farm. What I mean, like. It's just a farm. Like my mother grew up on a dairy farm. Yeah. Which means they had cows. True. 
I've, I've worked on dairy farms. I worked on farms with corn. I, wor- I worked in mint fields. I worked in bean fields. Mint fields? Yeah, mint fields. Oh, yeah, I've told you about this. Stark County, where I am from. Oh, no, you've told in me Indiana. some of these stories, but per, mint, I didn't per know. Per capita, is, we used to be like the greatest producer of mint, I think, in the Midwest or the country. Definitely. Mint oil. We have the annual mint festival in North Judson. Do you really? Yes. Wow, that sounds like refreshing. It is definitely refreshing. Yeah. Everybody in town has great breath. Do they, do they all drink a lot of... Um, mint juleps. Mint juleps. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you sell most of the mint... To the fine people of Kentucky around <laughs> Mint is something that is an, it's part of a huge industry, obviously. Oh, it's incredible. There's mint oil. There's mint everything. Gum? Yes. You know, chewable little things. Uh, and mint is grown mint. in Stark County. Do you grow chocolate chips for the ice cream? <laughs> no. That's great stuff. That would be great. We should do that. <laughs> but yeah, I Don't did a lot of work in cream. the mint fields. Wow. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good stuff. I did not know that. Yeah, how did we get on this? All Uh, with the shovel. All with mention of a shovel. It was uh, bodies. Bodies in Chicago (laughs) on the site of, you never know. The 78. You wonder if that's how many, is that the name of the land or how many bodies we'll find? I I mean, I'm not being mean about it, but I'm just saying, like, if we were in Rome instead of Chicago, they, like, every time they dig, they find something. And then you're, everybody has to back off and you have to, Leave it there. There, there are streets in Rome that you could tear up and find ruins. I do not want that to be the case here. I hope that they use a crane, a backhoe, leave the shovels at home, just okay. dig, and whatever they find, just bury. And wow. let's let's get on with the show. So let's get got, on with the project. You had no problem that you know some some nineteen twenties gangster is gonna be. Have his spats if dug up, and that, you just want to build over it. Let's let's do the forensics and find out who it is, and that's fine. I just don't anticipate that happening. I want to get on with the with the project. It's a very promising project. I agree. Rob Manfred said something that I would like to, you know, it's it's quotable for the right reason. Game changer. That's a good word. Game changer. He's not talking about a piece of metal. He's not talking about the how much he doesn't like baseball. He's talking about business development in the city of Chicago potentially being a game changer for the White Sox. I like it. Um, yeah, he said the proximity of the new ballpark to downtown, game changer for the Sox. I mean, that sounds awesome. Now, how do you pay for that? Now, the plan exists apparently yep. where it's not going to be a burden for taxpayers. I want to see details like everybody. And if those details are, are believable – <laughs> right. He supports the venture, which he says could be financed without any new taxes. Mm-hmm. So think about that. So whatever way they're financing the park uh, in, in uh, Bridgeport, would that have to continue at the new place? And then they're going to not add new money? Potential. To it? And then they could also use, you know, the, the TIF uh, districts and, and oh, yeah. things that are maybe you know circuitous routes to the same place i it's going to be likely very well thought out and hopefully well presented if and when they get to the point we think they're headed so this looks like it's it's got some momentum though and whether it's hearing from the commissioner or the white Sox publicly and privately the mayor of chicago mayor brandon johnson looks like it's it's on the way well, let's They're sending get to the it. signals. Let's go.
get get it going. I, I mean, we obviously need more information, but spring training's you know two weeks away. Let's two, go. Two weeks from Thursday, I believe. The the fourteenth pitchers and catchers report and the full squads on oh, the 19th. that's two weeks from tomorrow then nineteenth wow yeah we're getting there which is going to which is going to happen first the beginning of spring training or the beginning of the Cubs real off season because it hasn't really started yet I know yeah and there's more I, rumors floating around I, I, and. I, I, I like Naris. I, I like the the Japanese pitcher. I like some of those moves for the staff. That's great. But let's face it, this offseason will be defined by whether or not they get Cody Bellinger. The um, no, I, I I'm very curious. You keep hearing different teams, and you keep hearing different until until there's something substantial. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting myself worked up about. I, I'm trying not to either, but there are a lot of new teams that are entering or re-entering the, I mean, the, the fray. How much do you trust Scott Boris to yeah. to keep throwing teams out there versus right. saying, "Wow, you know, we're stunned that there's no real interest and no one will go over 200 million with that, this guy." That's what I think it's all about: is the number that he wants teams to get to. He thinks Bellinger is worth, and teams are right now engaging in a stare down. So, Cubs will continue to stare him down. And to wait and wait and wait. So I guess it's not anything to get too worked up about just yet. No, no. I but, keep telling myself that. Well, though. I mean, but I mean, you could drive yourself crazy because every day you're waiting to find out if they got it done, and every every other day there's another team. Well, so and so, he's on a flight to Toronto now. No, he's not, and nor was Otani. <laughs> but Taylor Swift might be. Did you think they named all these flights after her? 1989. That's her birth Kansas year. City. American Airlines, nod to them. They're taking advantage of the publicity. And United. And I also think well, Did United have, do as well? Because Yeah, they the, United may have done something like they they had the numbers like 1587. Okay. You know, like the jersey numbers. Well, I think American's flight from Kansas City to Vegas is 1989. The return flight is 87. So you get a little Taylor, you get a little Kelsey. Just 87? Just 87. Yes. Flight 87 leaving from Vegas. Well, the good news is, like, for the first time ever flying, you would remember what your flight number was. Well, I think what that you would remember. number? I don't know. I think you would remember if you're in Kansas City, ideally, if you're going to the Super Bowl, you would remember the flight number anyway, whether well, it's your first or your 50th you flight. Know, a lot of those people – could be traveling a little loosened up. A little, you know t- little tipsy? Well, who knows? well, then you're going to remember that you booked the Taylor Swift flight. The 1989. You definitely were doing that for a purpose, for a reason. People aren't going to forget the day. Oh, honey, what's their flight number? Are we going to Vegas because we're Taylor Swift fans? I don't know. No, you're definitely going to know. You're not going to forget your flight number. Uh-uh. 1989. I I went to the airport one time, and this is fairly recent. Uh, this this is the most the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. I I get to the airport. I'm going through security, and they're asking me what my flight number is or what my and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm flying to Chicago, whatever. And the guy like looks up my name because you're going international. And he's struggling, whatever, and he figures he just gives me this. And right as I walk up, they open up a new gate. So I am 
right through customs, get, get in, go, and I'm sitting by my gate waiting for my brother who's flying to Florida, and he comes in, and I'm probably 20 minutes ahead of him. And he has, like, this international thing where you go right through. So he should have been sitting there when I got there. He comes walking, and he's telling me, like, what a nightmare it is and how he's, you know. And then we're just chatting, and he's like, which seat are you in? I tell him the seat. He's like, I'm in the same seat. So it's so weird on different flights. When I got to the airport and checked in, this lady at the counter, I, you know, I, I had no bags. She couldn't find my name, so she put me on his ticket. So we're sitting there. We both have. How the does she same, do that? We both have the same ticket. You can't have the same ticket. We have the same ticket, and we're and and like this had to been years ago. This that would never happen now. Literally, about two months ago. Oh my god! In Montreal, You're- and we had to go up to a counter and get someone to figure it out, and they figured it out, and then he like tears up my ticket, and I'm like, oh thank god, what a you know what an ordeal. How could that possibly happen? I, I- and my brother's like. Where is your ticket? You know, is that my ticket? Am I now booked on my flight? And we had to go through the whole thing. Oh, my again. gosh. That's it was, very it confusing. Was, but it was like. I didn't realize you had two identities. Was, you know, that's what I'm saying. It was like. I the, didn't, she. You really woman, are a spy. When we, when we first walked in, the woman, I was kind of chatting with her. And she, there was no one there. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm going to be replaced by a computer. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Because she was struggling so much. And then she just found my surname and, and threw my name on the day. front of I, I mean, I mean, that would happen with AI. It could have been a really bad that day. That would not happen uh, exactly. with, with the AI doing that. I thought to myself so, later, you know, you really are going to get replaced. <laughs> she needs some coffee. But that happened. It was, a, it was the damnedest thing I've ever seen him. I, I just can't imagine getting onto a flight where you have the same ticket to different people. Yes, to the different destinations. They just, they, they just threw the names okay. on it. Yeah, that's never happened to me. I'm sure no, it happens never more happened than to I me. Think. It happened once in the Montreal airport. Yeah, was, I would worry about getting booted from that flight for reasons that are out of your control. Well, I, I mean, we both were. We, we, you know, we both had to go home. It, it was just the damnedest reality. <laughs> oh my ever. gosh, listen to this text. Stop crying about Bellinger, David. The Cubs are playing this right, unlike your hero Chris gets with Cease. Your hero. Oh, there's some guys out there that think I'm I, mean, a, I, I love the socks and Chris Getz. And, I, and, a, and a happy know. good morning to you, sir. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, a little, and it's a little bit I, mean. I, it sounds like the guy who was after me on Saturday because we had Chris Getz on inside the clubhouse and had the audacity, the audacity to begin the conversation asking him about his Michigan connections and if he was uh, going to be a Chargers fan because Jim Harbaugh took over there. Oh, I mean, imagine that. What a... Isn't that funny? What a homer. Come on. People, you know, let's, let's all maintain a little perspective. <laughs> That's here. okay. It's no. fun. They're inter- we love interactive listeners. Uh, I, I mean, I got to tell you, there's, there's kind of a lot of gotcha for some reason. Oh, there's mis- that's, that's everyone's and, favorite game. And I'm not, I'm not sure why. Everyone's favorite game. If someone thinks you've misspoken <laughs> or if you have misspoken, <laughs> yeah, you, you asked it. You definitely the get Sox it. general manager about the, the Michigan the, National Championship. The, How dare you? The other thing is, like, you know, you're an idiot. Like, really? Like, I'm an idiot because I misspoke about something or because I disagree with your opinion? 
Like, like, can't we keep it? There's a lack of civility that has become commonly and and widely accepted as a means of communication and just as a normal discourse. Yeah. It's okay. Is it? Well, I I say that uh, dismissively or just as a way of dealing with it because you have to say it's okay because really if you spend and devote too much energy trying to fight it, you will spend all of your day trying to fight it, and it's, it's futile. Well, you accept I, it. And you kind of just no, have to move I, on. I think you accept it. You shake your head, but you know that all the brave souls on the text line would never like come up to you and let you know what an idiot. You Maybe are. I don't know. I would hope not. I would hope not. I had a couple guys. I've told you about this. And one guy was at the last Bears game, who came up to me and said, hey, "I text you almost every day. I listen to you guys all the time. I'm not always the nicest on the text line. Do you mind taking a picture?" <laughs> You're right then. Yeah, and you're right. Then, and then he's wearing a T-shirt. I'm with stupid. <laughs> I used to have one of those T-shirts. Did we you? all did. we all had yeah. one of those T-shirts. It was a classic. Yeah, I love that. With we the, were we with, were we were making we we had the the Pope came to my high school when I was in high school, and we were talking about opening up a T-shirt shop. But well, what would we have? What we have on it? You know, Pope World Tour, whatever. And my buddy said, "How about that T-shirt? I'm with the stupid Pope." <laughs> That's, it's like sacrilege. That's blasphemy. That's but it, blasphemous. It was also at a funny. High school, it seminary? was funny as we were trying that's, to come up with t-shirts. That's like ten hail marys and three our fathers. Nah, he'd he'd laugh at it. I like the good joke. Know. He's a saint for the love of God. Okay. All right, we've. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Uh, we've got the pick six next. We're going to pick apart all the stories of the day, and we'll do that here on the score six seven of the score. It's Millie and Hall. It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick 6 with Mully and Haw starts now. You find yourself weighing the Bears coordinator hires through the lens of what other teams are doing. For instance, would you rather be the Eagles who added D.C. Vic Fangio and O.C. Kellen Moore as opposed to the Bears adding O.C. Shane Waldron and D.C. Eric Washington? Uh, yeah, I kind of do that. Yeah. If I see, if I see what I believe to be uh, a good staff put together. I will compare it with the Bears. I don't. I'm not against the staff hires. I'm. I. I. I'm curious about how it will work out. I like the fact that Shane Waldron has called plays before, and um, and I'm curious about what again will be the defining role of um, of Eric Washington. Is he a defensive line coach? Is he kind of an assistant head coach? Is he the defensive coordinator? if Matt Eberflus is going to continue to call play. So I'm curious about what the role is, but I am, um, I'm not going to be blaming Eric Washington if the defense blows up, right? No. So no. I think, I think you could say, you could, if you wanted to, that they have blamed the offensive coordinator and he was sacrificed at the altar of 10 losses. And now you're moving on with someone else. I don't think you're going to be blaming Shane Waldron. I think now the mark is clearly on the head coach, and it's curious that uh, that, that is the fact 
because these guys came here mm-hmm. and they took these jobs. Um, I I don't know about Philly. I mean, Kellen Moore was a you know when he was in Dallas, he was a uh, a head coaching candidate. Brief, however, briefly, and uh, and I think that Vic has been a head coach because he's such a good defensive coordinator. So I I don't know if you look at what's going on in Philly and say, oh, this is going to be turned around quickly. Or if you look at it, you say, maybe I can get this guy's job. Or if you look at it and you say, I'm only going to do it for a year or two anyway. Well, what's interesting in this, and I think it's a really good question, is it's exactly opposite. The Bears head coach is a defensive guy. The Eagles head coach is an offensive guy. So he, the Eagles, bring in a stronger, one-minded, big-voice defensive coordinator, and I think it was attractive to Vic because Vic could go there and be his own man. Like, Nick Sirianni is going to be, air quote, involved, but Vic Fangio is going to run the defense. And to your point a second ago, if the Eagles' defense stinks, Vic Fangio is going to take a bunch of crap for it, right? And the general manager and the coach will take crap for the fact they hired the guy. Like, if I were Nick Sirianni, I'd be calling the plays. I'd be trying to save my bacon, just like what Eberflus did with the defense with the Bears. So, you know, I'm excited about Eric Washington. I think he can coach up the defensive line. He's got a lot of good connections. But he's never called defensive plays. He worked for a head coach in Buffalo who called the defense as well. So we don't want him doing that. And that's, again, what we also, some of us liked about Shane Waldron, is that he called his offensive plays. He wasn't just around guys that called offensive plays. I think comparing the Bears and the Eagles staffs is difficult. And it's like trying to envision back in the beginning of the year Justin Fields taking the Jalen Hurts-like bounce when we would say that because they're two franchises in such different places. And I think this offseason reflects that too. The Eagles are disappointed because they didn't get back to the Super Bowl. The Bears are diff- disappointed because they didn't break 500. I mean, it, it's a very different, I think, <laughs> dynamic. And in the specifics with this staff, you know, Vic Fangio wants to return to Philadelphia, probably in that area for family reasons. Kellen Moore is somebody the Bears did try to interview and were blocked at the time because he was still, I think, on the Chargers staff, maybe even a candidate for that job. And they were blocked from talking to him eight days ago. Things changed when they hired Jim Harbaugh. They did not need him. And I think the Eagles did the smart thing and pounced on the guy who's known as one of the best, brightest minds available. So I understand why this looks like it would be, boy, they got the best of the best. And look at the Bears. They've got guys who you don't necessarily dislike, but you don't know as much about. Shane Waldron and Eric Washington are two very good football coaches and I think will be assets to the staff. Here's what I'm more concerned about, or at least if there's a reason for me to go, hmm, we need to look more into this. Dan Reederer talked about on the Take the North podcast and on the station over the last couple days. He has gotten an indication that there were some people looking into this job with the Bears that were maybe hesitant or reluctant because of the job security or insecurity of Matt Eberflus. That's not good if you brought him back to embrace the continuity and nobody's buying it. That's a pick six. When you look closely at the matchup for Super Bowl 58, position by position, it's a little easier to understand why the Chiefs will enter as an underdog. Is there any position group where the Chiefs have an edge 
Or is the only advantage to KC the most important position, quarterback? And is that enough? I really don't know where the advantage is for the Chiefs. When you go offensive line, no. I mean, we could go through them all. No. I, I just don't think that, you know, they don't even have the edge at tight end. <laughs> I mean, Travis Kelsey over Kittle, you, 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 it's close, but it's not advantage. I, I, mean, I mean, well, I guess that, that is the one. It is advantage. That's the one where it's be advantage Chiefs. But is that enough? Quarterback, no doubt about it. So what it is is that you got Jordan Pippen, oh, excuse me, Mahomes and Kelsey, and then the rest of the thing, the rest of the matchups favor the 49ers. And I, I, I understand why people look at that and they say, well, yeah, the 49ers are more complete. You believe in what they're able to do over the course of four quarters. That's going to be, and you can make a football argument. And then there's the Mahomes presence, and it's just like Michael Jordan. We keep on saying it, and we'll continue to talk about it. So that's the only position that they have a clear-cut advantage, uh, and I think it's—I think it will be enough. But I understand why maybe people will look at this and say the 49ers would be favored because they have a more complete roster. They had a better season. They're just maybe not coming in as hot as the Chiefs are. Well, first of all, I, I get the Michael Jordan talk w- with Patrick Mahomes, but with all due respect to Patrick Mahomes, maybe three or four rows back. Okay, Michael Jordan played for the NBA championship six times, never lost. Patrick Mahomes has lost the Super Bowl. So because of that, he doesn't get to sit in the same row or the row on the other side of the aisle. He has to sit a few rows back. Now, he's not quite LeBron James, who's still in the cry room. We don't have to get into that right now, but we could if you want. Um, But, David, you mentioned it, Kelsey, Mahomes, and with all due respect to Mully's guy, how about the head coach? Is that that a factor? You know, how, how many Super Bowls has Kyle Shanahan won? How many Super Bowls has the Eagles, 49ers, Chiefs head coach? I mean, how you know, he, he's so much better. He's nuggies. He's got an advantage. If if the, if it, the spread should be four, based on the fact that wait, who's who's who, so who who's so about? much better? Yeah, the Chiefs head coach. Oh, okay. oh, Andy Reid. Yeah. He's so yeah. much better than Shanahan to me. I mean, Shanahan's good. He's in the top five, but Andy Reid might be number one. And that's an. I think I'm just saying. I think that's an advantage that we're leaving out when we talk that's about getting ready for the game and the actual. You know, in-game management of it all—it's a big moment. It's a big deal, and Andy Reid just seems to have like ice running through his veins. He doesn't get—he doesn't get all wound up. He, it, all these games seem the same to him, and I think that's another advantage. And those are big advantage. Yeah, sure, the defensive line of the 49ers is better than the Chiefs. Sure, the running back of the 49ers, the wide receivers of the 49ers, but the quarterback. How many Hall of Fame? Well, you know, how many Hall of Famers are we talking about, right? On both sides of the ball. And if this is a one and a half point game, if that's how close the experts think it is, I want the ball in the better quarterback's hands, and it's a landslide to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, you know, they. I would say San Francisco uses motion to set up its offense, and it's considered. I don't believe that it is. 
but it's considered almost quarterback proof that you can put anyone in there and you can win games. And he's won games with a lot of obscure quarterbacks, Kyle Shanahan, as a result of the system that he runs. Now, if you look at the numbers in total, he won a lot of games with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, let's have an argument how good he is. But all of the backup guys over the years, I don't think he – I think he probably lost twice as many games as he won with them. He just managed to win with some of them. And now he's got this guy who, again, was like fourth among a group of quarterbacks and ended up winning the battle, and they've won a lot of games with him. But how good is he at a quarterback? as a quarterback? It's a, it's a, it's a really difficult one to try to put a finger on frankly, because they're in the Super Bowl, right? And they probably could have lost both games, and they had a rally in both games. And I don't know that they're doing that. I I understand your protection of Michael. Uh, The NBA, basketball, five-man game, right? One man can dominate a five-man game, and certainly Michael did. He needed help, and he needed other players, and he had them. But it was Jordan who was the killer competitor that was going to win. And I think when, you're, when you talk about Jordan-esque in, in light of, uh, of a professional football game, I think what you're saying is that this guy is an ultra-competitive winner. And he, he wants to win. He raises the level of play of his teammates. But really, it's more about composure. You know, the better comparison is Tom Brady. And, you know, as we talked to Ross Tucker about, Mahomes has this Tom Brady style of making the right play, doing the right thing, winning the game. He understands how to win. And he's very calm as he approaches it. So it's it's really the kind of player himself. But to answer the question, the quarterback is better. I think that the interior line play for the Chiefs, you know, uh, Creed Humphreys was very good the other day. I thought Allegretti played great in place of uh, of Tooney. He should be back, though, right? I, I think their interior I, linemen are pretty good. I don't know if and Tooney's that, coming back. And that, uh, even if it's Allegretti, yeah. that, watch Mahomes. He tries to dodge around and then move up in the pocket. He trusts the guys in front of him. And, you know, I think um, – Pittsburgh back in the day used to really work on having that sort of thing. So I, I, I like that group. I think their corners are pretty good. And I think that, um, I mean, I, I don't have all the names in front of me and each chart, depth chart, but I think they're they're pretty good at linebacker. I, I think they play better defense they get credit for. Questions? <laughs> <laughs> Did coach of the Lions, Dan Campbell, receive about as much criticism as you anticipated after the team blew a 17-point lead in the second half and was denied its first-ever trip to the Super Bowl? Agree or disagree with his strategy? Can you accept he stayed in character and remained true to himself? Is that a sign of courage or is it a sign of stubbornness? Um. That's a good question, and the reason it's a good question is Dan Campbell was the same guy he's been all along, but there is a difference between going for it on first down, or excuse me, on fourth down early in the game versus late in the game, and I thought Kurt Warner did a great job of explaining 
that yesterday on the Parkinson Spiegel show. He was fantastic. Talked about what it means for a team when you fall behind. Talked about points, 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 and how you need them. And they needed that. They needed three points there to tie the game, and they should have gone for it and tied the game. Now, what we don't know, that field goal kicker, that's not automatic. And he's not automatic from 45 to 50 yards. In fact, he's pretty mediocre. So did they feel like the kicker, have they been going for it on fourth down because they don't feel like they have the kind of kicker that used to be with the Lions? Do they feel like that is a guy that that they can't trust from 48 yards in a, in a big game to go to the Super Bowl? And if you felt that that a missed field goal was on the way and you wanted to go for it as a result, you know, the, the pass was dropped. You had a chance to convert that fourth down. The, the play was okay. It was, uh, it was the fact that someone dropped the ball. Um, look, I, I would have gone for the field goal. I think the criticism was expected. I kind of admire the way that he is true to himself. I kind of think that's cool. I mean, it was wrong, in my opinion, because it didn't work. But it's a good idea to, to be you. <laughs> well, I think he's getting deserved criticism. But here's where I think it really got off the rails. And I don't think this got talked about enough because of how crazy the end of the game was. But if you go back into the game, I watched, I rewatched the second half yesterday. Mm-hmm. I watched halftime and I watched the second half. Before the half, the 49ers had the ball last. But right before that, the Lions had the ball, obviously. And they got down to the two-yard line, and they kicked a field goal. And I think he was so mad at himself for doing that because that was so off-brand. But wasn't that the right move to go in up three scores? I I don't know. Not if he's... Not when you're you're up 21 to to 7. You're up twenty-one to seven yeah. at the two. I yeah. just was it the right move? Probably, but that was so not him. You're right. And I just think he kicked the field, and I think he was mad. I think he was like, "Err, I could have had it. Err, I could have had it." Now the 49ers mount their comeback a little bit. Okay, then he says, "Nah, damn didn't, it, didn't I'm going think, for it." Didn't you think the clock management? At that point in the game was awful when they got the ball. Well, at the very end, sure, but no, I'm, talking I'm talking about, about the, I'm talking about halftime. Oh yes, they get the yes. ball and they let like 38 yeah, seconds they, they take off that. the clock. Like, what uh, are you doing? But I just think he got off of him. I think he left what he did, okay. and I think it aided him. I just think it's something to think about. That's interesting. It, yeah. it aided him, and that's why the first time in the third quarter that they went for it. That that's why they went for it because he was so mad at himself for Maybe. taking the field goal. I think we make way too much out of a guy, in, in, in all sports, like you know, he's true to himself, and this is who he. Not every decision is created equally. Not every fourth down is the same. It's really not smart to say I'm going to have the same emotional approach to to situations that are complex and always changing, always different. You've got to change too. You can't take the same rationale you did to a fourth down in the se- in the second quarter or a fourth down in October that you are in the fourth down of a NFC Championship game midway through the fourth quarter when a field goal ties the game and maybe extends it into overtime and gives you a chance to actually get to the Super Bowl because that's your job. It's not your job to say, you know what, this is who I am. So 
we got here because of me, or to think that and to execute that. And I think that's why he deserves all the criticism he received. He expected it, and he handled it like a pro, but he deserved it. And And they're not ever getting back. They may not ever get back, as he says. But if he was the biggest reason they got there, and you want to buy into that, and I kind of understand that, he's also probably the biggest reason they're not going to the Super Bowl. Both things can be true. And that was predictable. Wasn't it? That well, was definitely predictable. That. We knew that this yeah. was going to get in the way at some point. So I understand. I don't think it's stubbornness as much as it's immaturity. You've got to be able to adapt your, and adjust and control your emotions because that's your job as the head coach, to make the smartest decisions, not the ones that are just the boldest. And the other thing is you're not going to surprise anyone by doing it because you've been doing it all year long. Everyone looks at you. And as you say, Dustin, he's biting through his lower lip. So, of course, he's going to go for it. It wasn't any surprise. Yeah, I think it's a good question. The Bulls won't have Zach Levine tonight against the Raptors, and it's unlikely the sprained right ankle will be healed before February 8th tread day at deadline day. Do you hope he's played his last game with the Bulls? Are you hoping he'll be back? Where are you with this season and with his career? I really don't hope he's traded. I really understand they played well without him, and I get all the people who are fed up with the fact that he's Max Levine and isn't that clever, and he doesn't live up to the deal, and he's disappointing and takes bad shots and plays isolation basketball. I also like him. Not just because we go back to the horse tournament he won during the pandemic and he entertained us and all that stuff, but I like Zach Levine. I think he's been an underrated asset to the Chicago sports community for a very long time. And does he have to adjust the way he plays maybe? Yeah. Is he worth all the money? Maybe not. But I kind of hope they keep him and find a way to make it all work. Maybe you can't build around him. Maybe he limits what you can do. But, you know, if this is a just looking at it uh, as the question asks, where are you with the season his career? Maybe a little disappointed with his overall career because he's not been in many winning teams. But I hope he comes back and he's an asset. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Seems like a nice guy. He had that one bad moment with the media after the game that became a thing because of everything else that's going on with him. I don't see how they can trade him because of the injury and, of course, because of the contract. That's another issue. So what if you keep him around and you keep Kobe and basically you dump everybody else and try to redo it from there? Maybe that's what you have to do. The Bulls were in a no-win situation. When they signed him to the max deal, they had to do that from a business standpoint because it would have looked really bad as an organization if they didn't take care of one of their own. But, I mean, I've got massive Zach Levine fatigue at this point. It's, you know, i got to get through the Super Bowl. Like, you know, that that, my focus is 100% on that. Even though there's a great slate of college basketball on Saturday we could talk about. But uh, right now... Oh, please. I'm more excited that it's Chuck Swirsky's 70th birthday today oh. than I am about Max Levine's contract status. Happy birthday, Chuck. Oh, that's great. Happy birthday, sure. Um, I know that that um, that horse game didn't mean much to you. And I know it did. that you would have spelled it out <laughs> dull. You'd have played a game of dull if you were calling the shots. But... Mike Conley Jr. beat Zach Levine in the horse game. Let's get that straight. <laughs> I know he won the horse game during COVID. <laughs> it was Mike Conley Jr. I still sometimes daydream about the gym in his home. 
full gym. I'm sure Zach could afford to build one now. Uh, yeah, you know, the problem with Zach Levine is uh, exactly kind of the way you put it, Justin. You just have fatigue from, you know, good guy, good soldier, put up with a lot on a ton of losing teams. And finally, uh, the Bulls get to a point where you think they're going to win and they got to keep him and they give him the money. And he hasn't lived up to it. He just hasn't lived up to his contract. And that's why people are calling him Max Levine. And that's why he's... You know, and I think he knows it. And I think that's one of the reasons he wants out. And frankly, if he were earning that money, I think we'd all be out of our minds about it. But it, um, if you can get rid of him, if you can trade him, feel free to go ahead. I'm, I'm with you. I would feel bad, and I kind of want him to stick around on a personal note. I think he's a good guy. But he has not been the player they paid him to be, and I don't think he ever will be. And he's done a lot of losing in the NBA. Then you have to answer the question. According to reports, the Angels has emerged as a late candidate to sign Cody Bellinger. Last Friday, the four-letter network's Jeff Passan reported that it will be early February before Boris clients Bellinger, Montgomery, Chapman sign free agent contracts. Where should the Cubs' concern level be today? I wouldn't raise it an ounce. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, go to death come four, <laughs> three, whatever. Um, I, I feel like they're playing this the way they should. There has yet to been a market created. You whisper names all you want. Um, are you in danger of losing Bellinger? Oh, Jays. Yeah, you're in danger. But, but you know what? It's just exactly. Yankees. It's just a bunch of noise. Nobody is killing themselves to pay this guy. Angels. Why would you trust a whispered name as a reason to, okay, we'll give you 250. Giants. Play your cards close to the vest. Don't say anything. Let them know, hey, if you get close to anything, let us know. And, and, and he's going to come to the conclusion that he should stay in Chicago. And it doesn't have to be for $200 million. So, don't bid against yourself. I know it's dangerous. I know people are getting worked up. Just ter- turn your mind off and, and trust these guys to do their job. We'll complain about it if they don't get it done. But Of course. Don't start, uh, don't start negotiating against yourself. Are they playing a game this Sunday? The answer is no. So if they, if they break camp with nothing else, then pile on. Okay. Then just pot then just then just pile on. But until then voice of reason. You have to be patient. Yeah. Cue up the guns and roses. Don't have to. I'm I mean, sure you do. I'm feeling today. I'm I I'm I know we're short on time, so I'm not gonna talk about it because I don't want to talk about it because I'm near nearing DEFCOM four and a half. Why don't they have Cody Bellinger in the fold yet? I don't know. Because he wants two hundred million uh, and nobody else wants okay. to pay him two hundred million. Makes sense. So I understand it. If I go down one road, I will go in one direction. So I'm not gonna go down that road. Let's get on to the next question. So, to answer your question. Man, there's so much. We got to go back to that one. Uh, I didn't even get my say. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's no, all right. No, we're, right. Take, we're short on time. Brandon's going to Brandon's going to get upset. Oh, we're going to upset I'll Brandon pass Fryer. on the next question just to hear your say. No, we'll talk about the Cubs later. Okay. Over the weekend, Michigan promoted the offensive line coach, Sharon Moore, to the head coaching spot. He replaces Jim Harbaugh. Promoting internally was also what Ohio State and Notre Dame did with Ryan Day and Marcus Freeman, respectively. Northwestern did so with David Braun. <laughs> he was Big Ten Coach of the Year. 
Do these coaching moves by Power 5 programs represent the new rule or the exceptions as the college football playoffs expand and the salaries soar? I'm really not sure if one is connected to the other, but it is a fascinating trend. I do think it, it shows you that there are guys who are on staffs who are really good at their jobs that we don't necessarily know about because we're not in there every day. And in every case, Ryan Day, Marcus Freeman has, I think, struggled in relative terms, but he is a tremendous recruiter, and I think he's got the number one recruiting class in the country or nearabouts. And Sharon Moore has got a lot to offer. David Braun, who saw that one coming? Nobody. I just wonder if this will persuade more job searches to be less national and more insular and more on campus, if you will. They're cheaper, they're smarter, and there will be fewer examples of maybe investing $100 million in a named coach that never delivers or stays. So I wonder if this is a new trend, but it's already got four names on there that are all very impressive in, in different ways. Yeah, I think it is a trend, David. I think you're right. I think and you're going to see kind of the older school coaches kind of pushed out or walk away because they don't know how to handle this whole NIL thing. It's, it's I don't know that anybody knows how to handle it. It's it's definitely the, the wild, wild west. But just with one of those names in this topic of conversation, if Ryan Day doesn't win the day moving forward, you know, he won't be the head coach at the Ohio State much longer. And then they will go outside of the program to find their next boss. Yeah, I think these are interesting cases in each one. And, um, you know, Marcus Freeman was promoted, so everyone didn't transfer. That It was as simple as that. They were worried about the recruits coming in and the recruits that, uh, that were there. And uh, that seemed to be the answer to that. David Braun, I mean, listen, they were in an absolute mess. They fouled up the sequence and the whole nine yards, and they um, it, it was just a disaster, and he was uh, just the guy standing there. He's been great, but I think you got to take it into account. Ryan Day, it's, uh, you know, it was a great offensive play caller, and they felt like he could take over and step into the role, and he's done very well. He just hasn't been able to win the big game. So um, I think – if Nick Saban retires, you better go get a Kalen DeBoer. I, I think they did a great job of getting a new coach in there at Michigan, and he brought his staff with him. And then Washington had to go out and hire a whole coaching staff themselves. So I, I think theoretically, just going to the guy in place is probably a good one. But if you're if you've got endless pockets and you've got nil money up the wazoo and now they've had a lot of guys leave Alabama don't get me wrong but I think I think you need a guy that can win and and DeBoer has proven he can win all right 312-644-6767 it's Mully and Haw on the score set up this extra point it's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 the score Will you be spending any time watching the Senior Bowl in order to scout players for the April NFL Draft? Maybe help out the Bears. Are you hooked on the NFL Network coverage, or do you find yourself trying to figure out how many top 10 selections are likely to play? I am not hooked on the NFL Network coverage of the Senior Bowl. I doubt that I will pay that close of attention. I'm looking forward to talking to Brad Biggs, who's down there. I think I'm talking to Kevin Fishbane on Football Night in Chicago, who's down there. The coverage of it will be 
I think, worth reading and watching. But I don't, I don't think I'm riveted to find out how good the route running is from a third-round draft pick likely to go to maybe the Bears. There's a lot of maybes and a lot of deficits. It's different if you're covering it and you're there. Then it becomes what we know is like an NFL coaches convention. The information is worth the trip more than to me the ability to see, you know, an edge rusher's get off and how fast he is. I think those are interesting things, details that may never matter to you. They may never be guys that you watch in your city on the team that you cover. Um, the fact that Caleb Williams is not there, Drake May is not there, Marvin Harrison Jr. is not there, uh, all the guys that you think will be top 10 picks, not there. Yeah, I mean, I, I take nothing away from the people's interest in it. It's great. The draft Knicks are a very big portion of our fan of our listening audience and, and every team's fan base. But I don't look at this week as going out of my way to find out, you know, what the edge rusher from the mid-major school that's going to be a higher draft pick than maybe somebody else would expect. I don't find myself doing a lot of that. Well, as all the texters are reminding me, you know, football is not a one-man game like basketball can be a one-man game. So if the top ten aren't there, it doesn't matter because one man, Caleb Williams, cannot change a franchise around, as all the texters are reminding me. Anyway, here's the difference. The Senior Bowl, they're actually in pads and helmets, and they're not running around in their underpants and track shoes. They're actually playing football. They're doing football things, unlike the Combine, where they do a bunch of uh, specialty things that have been a made-for-TV event. I like the Senior Bowl because they actually play a game. These guys are going to try to knock the snot out of each other. I went down that rabbit hole yesterday. I went. I specifically went to the NFL Network yesterday. No Chicago sports teams playing. No big news happening. I went to the NFL Network and got some Senior Bowl and got excited about it. And I'm also curious to hear and read guys like Big Z, Fishbane, and others about what they think. And maybe, just maybe, before we get out of here this week, Maybe we'll have a draft uh, guru guy on if David allows it. Uh, I, I'm all for it. I love the Senior Bowl. Uh, never really watched the game. Don't really care about the game. What I'm going to do is record a lot of the practices. They do interviews while they're – and there are various people that they will have on, and I'm not saying that everybody's – it's not like when you're there. And you're walking up and you're sitting down next to someone and you're chatting with them. And that's a that's a wonderful thing. The whole league is there. It's also tough. It's They've changed it a lot by having so much of it now in Lad People Stadium. In the old days, you'd walk around, um, I think it's Fairhope, there'd be one uh, practice at of one side and then they'd go to a different place. And they'd be just on kind of these high school fields and everyone is just standing around. And you could mill around the crowd and run into people and have long conversations. And, you know, it was unbelievable prep for the Super Bowl because you would find teams that had played both opponents and you'd talk to the coach about the experience and what they do well and what they don't do well and what, have, what has he seen change with these teams. It's, it's just uh, it's, there's so much access, or there used to be back in the day, so much access that you'd have a chance to talk to anyone you want. You'd make a list, of, like a wish list of guys you were looking for, and you'd find them. And I loved that. And then it started getting more and more crowded, and they started kind of reserving a lot of stuff. Back in the day, they'd have the 
seafood medley at the is the Adams Mark Hotel downtown, and you could just find every coach in the league hanging around having a drink, and it was pretty outstanding and uh, a lot of fun memories from Mobile. I think the first five or six years I went there, I could not really endure it. It was tough, and then you figured out where the secret places are, where the best spots to hang are, and where the best hotel is, etc. And I have often contemplated, or I often did contemplate, I suppose those days are gone, taking the crew there uh, for a, like a summer vacation, just spending a week in Mobile. It's, it's a great town, and there's a lot of fun stuff to do. Um, but it takes a while to, to kind of figure it out and fit in with it. But yeah, really, I had a lot of fun, a lot of memories. I, I do like to kind of have the coverage, go home, and then watch it kind of an hour behind, you know. So I'm not sitting there watching just, as you say, different drills. But there'll be people that they will interview, and they're good. It's good stuff. I, I think the fact that the top players don't go is totally understandable. I guess the pass rusher from UCLA is going. He'll be like the top prospect, could be the first defensive player taken. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested in it. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, if I were going there, I'd be crazy about it. Yeah, it's harder to yeah. – it's harder to see things on TV, and even interviews can be yeah, they're, telling but they're, incomplete. Yeah, they're very whitewashed, and right. you don't get all the information you need. But if you follow the coverage, you get tons of good stuff. Yeah, you know, I follow this stuff. I'll follow the, the combine. I'm interested in that. And I'll also make a few phone calls and talk to people about what they're seeing. The combine, I think, is is different to me because it involves everybody. Mm-hmm. And this is an all-star game, which is – handpicked for a reason and they're guys who obviously they're letting you know underclassmen more involved and but they're they're middle the rank and file guys yeah the combine is you see how the number one overall pick in the draft is going to handle a media crush or how what uh if they're not throwing in in the case of williams and what other testing will do and they have meetings and interviews and those things come out yep yeah all that stuff all right 312-644-6767. That is the telephone number. We're going to uh, get to your calls. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 67 the score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 67 in the score. That is the music. That's the theme music. That's from- an anthem. From Hoosiers. That, that's an anthem in Indiana. One of the great yeah. movies of all time. Definitely. And, and we are here to wish happy birthday to Chuck Swirsky. But also, but also. Gene Hackman, who plays coach Norman Dale. Another basketball movie, legend. Yeah. 94 today. Oh, my gosh. 94. 94. He and Chuck share a birthday. Wow. Years apart, obviously. Gene Hackman, coach Norman Dale. What a legendary character. What a great movie. Great sports movie. One of the greatest sports movies of all time. So many different scenes. So- all right, lift it up. Lift it up. Here's what we're going to do. Jimmy, they're going to be expecting you to take the last shot. We're going to use you as a decoy. Buddy, you get the ball. Give the Merle on the picket fence. He's going to take the last shot. All right, let's go. What's the matter with you guys? What's the matter with you? I'll make it.
I'll make it. Jimmy. I'll make it. Coach, let's give face the it. ball to your best player. Let's face it. That was maybe the dumbest thing that Norman Dale Don't ever did. overthink it. He, drawing up that original play, imagine really, how much history could have been changed. It took the team, <laughs> that, the convention. That was kind of the dumbest thing he ever came up with. And and you know the real like he's I mean the movie is based on the, the, the legendary Indiana championship yeah Milan Miracle nineteen fifty four Bobby Plump Bobby Plump and uh, he he owns a bar and you go there often Bobby's and last just, and he just, Plump's last shot and he will literally just recount the story for he you. does it how many times has he told you that story I, I, hundreds I've, of times. I've heard it twice being there it's in Broad Ripple down in Indianapolis yeah. Bobby Plump is an Indiana legend. Milan Miracle of 1954. I knew the coach who was portrayed in the movie, who was Norman Dale in real life, Marv Wood, who spent his latter years in Mishawaka, Indiana, as the head coach of the St. Mary's College Bells, women's college basketball team. Marvin Wood was a good friend. Great guy. Great guy. And uh, Thank you for bringing this Gene, up. Gene Hackman. A great actor. He is. A lot of different movies for him, too. The, the Conversation is a really interesting movie. The Firm. Um, the French Connection, one and two. Yes. I mean, Gene Hackman had an unbelievable career and still with us at 94 years old. 94. Incredible. I just didn't expect him to still. <laughs> That's a Sister r- Jean says he's a young pup. <laughs> young, She's 10 years older. That now. young man, he'll make something of himself one day. 94 years old, and he's, what, seven years younger than Sister Jean? Is she 101? She's 105, 104. Come on. She is 10 years older wow, than him, bro. she doesn't look a day past 90. She could have babysat him. <laughs> she could have. She could have. That was the best scene in the movie, though. I'll make it. Wasn't that the best scene in the movie? I thought when they had the – I think Jimmy is a huge character in the yeah. movie. I thought when they had the, the meeting where they were going to fire him – that was and, maybe better. And, yeah. and Jimmy says he'll only play for, for uh, Coach Dale. We watched the pregame speech uh, during the break. That was, a pretty, that was a pretty moving moment as well. Yeah, it's good stuff. And we have the Gridiron Assassin checking in. Gene is the voice of uh, Lowe's. Is that true? Is that? Huh. It's, I mean, he has like a very, it's an obscure a very noticeable line voice. in his resume. It is. <laughs> Uh, let's get to Kevin. Kevin is in Palatine. Hey, Kevin. Hey, good morning, guys. And Hoosiers is an amazing movie. Oh, um, every part of it. I think I've seen it about 50 times. We agree. Um, I look at Cody Bellinger like when you're going to buy a home and you buy one from a realtor and they tell you homes worth $250,000, that's what it is. I look at what David, and I love you, but what you want us to do is you want to buy the home that's worth 250 but you are the uh, seller by owner, and you want 400000 of it for it because of the memories and the, the warm and fuzzies of last summer. Yes. Here, here's the cold, hard facts of this. Yeah. He has been offered zero contracts. That's from MLB Network. That's from every reporter who covers the league. No one has offered him an official nickel. They're looking at parameters. So what we want the Cubs to do is go out and pay $50 million more than anyone else. Hey, here's the point. If he wants to be Chris Bryant and he wants to go to the Angels and, you know, live in anonymity for the next decade, feel free. Because I don't think Artie Moreno, I think that's the falsest rumor ever set out by 
his jackass agent. So, David, don't be don't be selling from homeowner. Be the realtor. Be in the real world. No one's paying him two fifty. No one's offered him two hundred. Let's just play this poker game. Let's stay in for a bit. There aren't any games for a while. I know you're getting itchy. I know you're getting irpy, but it's okay. Kevin, I I appreciate the phone call. I really do. You're exactly right. I, I I'm he's exactly right, Molly. I I acknowledge that. There are times when I will get carried away emotionally with a story that clouds my judgment. The Cody Bellinger play for the Cubs is to wait it out. Yeah, it is do, to be they're patient. They're doing the right thing. It is to it well. not be uh, not to be too uh, skittish about what's not happening. And I did sound very skittish. I think whenever we had that the pick six. I do get a little bit carried away because I worry about the fact that they don't sign him. What is that? What does that mean to a team that needs him as badly as I think the Cubs need him? But I think All he's right. right. Thank well, you, Kevin. We've got to get to a break, and we're going to bring in uh, Dustin Rhodes, who's Good. been wanting desperately to talk about this Bellinger situation. He's got a lot of deep thoughts, <laughs> and uh, we'll pull I, I, him. We'll we'll extract. I, I feel better. I think that was a good little there. intervention there. I said basically the same thing, only but, Kevin yelled at you about that, that, it, and now was, you're happy. It was 45 minutes ago. Oh my God. I need time to get these things processed. Well, that's a great call. <laughs> it's Molly and Haw. Dustin next on The Score. I'll make it. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. Well, we don't know of any other offer that's yeah. ever been made to the to Bellinger this offseason. So w- with that in mind, uh, we know the Cubs have negotiated a deal. A lot of people say it's been five or six years. It hasn't been substantiated. Uh, I, I think that to start the year, Scott Boris and uh, Bellinger were looking for a $200 million contract. I don't think that's out there. We have heard nothing from Toronto. We've yeah. heard nothing from San Francisco. Uh, Seattle doesn't appear to have the money to sign this. So is, is this a situation right now where... 
they continue to wait each other out, the Cubs and Scott Boris, the agent for Cody Bellinger. Mully and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to the score. That's our guy Bruce Levine, and he's talking on the Marquee Network, letting you know there's uh, there's no new team, there's no new action, even though it's been reported that, and I don't even know how legitimate such report is, that the Angels uh, have an interest. There are a lot of people that believe that um, – that it's going to be a rough year for Bellinger, that he's due for sort of a... Regression? Yeah, all the models and the numbers would indicate that he's due for a regression, whether it be with the Cubs or elsewhere. Yeah, I understand And maybe that's why people are careful about going over uh, the the 200 million um, number. I think they thought he was going to get like 250. Oh, I think early in the pre-offseason, we speculated wildly about what he might bring in return and maybe we definitely or not maybe we overestimated the market maybe he did too let's get to our special guest uh he of course is uh, our executive producer mr dustin william william rose we didn't he give does, him we didn't give him enough time he does the fly the w podcast yeah. with a friend of the show crowley and he has been known to have strong cubs opinions and earlier in the show yeah yeah, early we didn't get an opportunity. He felt he was rushed. We and did. We rushed him, and we did, we tend to do that, and sometimes we even cut him off. But I think here's the question. And that if he you now, do that, he just stops talking. He just stops talking. So we can give him full platform here. Your dime, your dance floor. Here's a question, just so people can reframe it, and we can hear it again. According to reports, the Angels have emerged as a late candidate to sign Cody Bellinger. And last Friday, the Four Letter Network, see how I did that? Because Dustin always says that. The Four Letter Network's Jeff Passan reported that it'll be early February before Boris clients Bellinger, Jordan Montgomery, and Matt Chapman signed free agent contracts. Where should the Cubs' concern level be today? That's the weekend, right? Early February. That's like Thursday. Thursday. What's today? Tuesday? Tuesday. We got a couple days. Ah, Thursday, Dustin. Uh Uh-huh. Let me amplify on that a little bit for you, David. Thanks Thanks for the invitation, Molly and David. We did talk about this yesterday on the Fly the W670 ah. podcast. It'll be out later today for your consumption, Cub fans. But in regards to Cody Bellinger, and my wife and kids ask me almost every other day, is there news? What's going on? Where is he going? We'll be so upset if he leaves. So if you overpay the guy, it's really bad business move. If he comes in at your price, the Cubs price, you potentially have – a disgruntled player. So that's not good either because he's got people, not necessarily him, but he's going to have people saying, they did you wrong, should have been better than this, next time around. Last year, perfect scenario for him. He needed to be reborn. He needed to be rebranded. And what a better place to do that than here. Good point. And the, and the Cubs fans, for, rightfully so, fell in love with him. And we kept asking, we kept playing lineup Easter. And we kept trying to figure out why David Ross, I think when the the first set of the season, he was batting like seventh. And he slowly kept climbing up. Couldn't bat fourth because that was Ian Happ's spot. Could never bat bat fourth. Ian Happ was third. Was it third? Yeah, it was third. Maybe that's what it was. So he couldn't bat third because that was Ian Happ. But he never batted second. He was batting fourth. You know, can Cody Bellinger take on the pressure of being 
in the second or third spot. Because if you pay him close to $200 million, mm-hmm. he's batting second or third. He's not batting fifth or sixth or, God forbid, seventh. Right? Can I ask a follow-up? Of course. What makes you think that Cody Bellinger couldn't handle the pressure? What in his past would make you believe that this is somebody that would... Well, he regressed. I mean, he well, was the he was the National League Rookie of the Year. He was a World Series MVP. He's playing in L.A. The Dodgers are expected to basically win it every single year based on talent and money spent, and mm-hmm. he was not living up to expectations. I, I just feel like those are things that were maybe attributed to mechanics, maybe some other things. I just don't look at a guy who's been an MVP, the rookie of the year, World Series champion, as somebody that I'm not worried about him wilting to any pressure. I think maybe the repeatables are a concern. Mully, you make a good point about the fear of regression, and it's there. I also am not that concerned, or I'm not as concerned. Kevin makes a good point about me being a little bit nostalgic and you want to overpay because you the house reference and all the memories I don't worry so much about the Cubs overpaying. I don't ask the question, can they afford him? I ask the question, can they afford not to sign him? Well, that's a great point, right? Because we we saw at one point, I mean, the Cubs did not finish the project last year. They didn't make it to the postseason. And at one point, the offense, as Theo famously said, looked broke. Mm -hmm. And that's when Cody Bellinger was not in the lineup, no matter where, you know, just not in the lineup, period. And it was really bad. And the Cubs offense won't be very good unless there's some kind of trade that's going to happen. I don't I don't see the offense being much better, regardless of who you could still possibly bring in. I mean, Chapman is more of a defensive guy. That's what he that's what he's known for. It's okay with the stick, but he's better with defense. Okay. They're also talking about um the former Red Sox and Dodger third baseman, Turner is going to make a decision, right? It, 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 he's that's it, is that I mean I think Cub fans would adore him. He, he would fall right into it, right? He'd yeah. be great with the fans. And he would solve a little bit of your problem at third base. But he doesn't bring – he's not going to – you know, the Cubs had a power issue. He had a bunch of guys in the 17-18. Patrick Wisdom barely got any at-bats, and he led the team in home runs, right? He's not going to do that again. No. I don't think but so. But, again, you can't, you can't just genuflect because Scott Boris wants it. I, They're not negotiating against anybody. The, the, the four-letter network report from Jeff Passan mm-hmm. is a plant. That was, that was a favor done to the agent for future consideration and information down the line. He floated that for him, in my charge. opinion. That's quite an accusation. That's, that's a major. <laughs> that's I a said, ma- in my that's opinion. A major, that's a major. We can't let that one go. <laughs> yeah. Should I dump that? Dump it, dump it, dump it, dump it. Dump it. it. The Cubs are in a conundrum because they don't want to overpay. It is getting late. Spring training's two weeks from tomorrow. And yet, I do think there's time. I I do thank you for settling me down this morning, whether it was Mully at 610 or Kevin at 645. We have a texter who says that it's called parental syndrome, that I was (laughs) talking to you and you just never listened to it. Because I'm a father figure to you, I think I'm more of like I'm more of a son-like figure to you. you, you you're a son-like you, figure. Yeah, to me? you you throw an arm around me and offer me a. I don't listen life to my saver. son either. I don't. No, I need to. Why would you? Oh, I would. Why would I? I uh, no, I think that what happened was that I was I answered the pick six question at six fifteen more 
emotionally than I typically do. And Kevin called me on it rightly a half hour later. You corrected me at the time, and I was too caught up in my feelings to hear you. Um, and, and I understand your feelings. I really do. I think that it, I, I, I fear that if they don't get this done, people are going to feel like it was an unsuccessful offseason. I will. Oh, I, I know you will. But, I mean, I think a lot of people will. I think a lot of people will look at it and say, you brought in the new manager and you're giving him a team that's not as good as the one that played here last year, and that wasn't as good as the team he had in Milwaukee. Because that's not why you got the new manager. Right. We know he can do more with less. We want to see him do more with more. <laughs> and that's why I think theoretically he came to Chicago. Resources. They, they got a lefty reliever yesterday. Did you see that? Yes, I did. Yeah. They found him a driveline. Well, I mean, I, nonetheless, they got I, one. You I, you said yesterday that you weren't pleased about the relief. Well, you didn't I, I, I care did. about the reliever, but you wanted a lefty. I wanted a lefty. I'm tired of the reverse splits. I'm tired of looking at. And Mark. they've got a lot. I, I, they've, I they've got a lot of kind of journeyman lefty guys, right? That they've brought in that they think they can. Pick they do. From. They got more left-handers. So they brought Carl Edwards back. I saw that. This great guy. Really nice guy. Great story. I remember that story. That was a tremendous story. Remember him having the ball in his hands in the a very crucial situation. Slinger, right? That's yeah. Carl Edwards. Yeah. The string bean slinger. Was his was his wife not in the military? Wasn't there? It was like a really interesting story. I thought with his missus. I think it's, it has something to do with it. Yeah, I, I, it was. I don't think he's got much left. Right, that was a long time ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. But relievers. But he was like a young guy. You were gonna see great things from, and, and now he, he's a veteran guy. You never know with relievers. You know, the, we're talking about. Hector Neris, he's 34 years old, and we think he's, the Cubs could get two more seasons out of him. He's been super durable over his career. Yeah, 70 or more appearances in the last three seasons. That's good. The Cubs added – good job, Molly. The, the left-hander is Richard Lovelady. Lovelady. <laughs> Who doesn't – Richard Lovelady. Love a lovelady. Driveline Pro Day. They were one of the teams scouting him, and he throws a, a nasty sinker, apparently. And maybe some ch- good change-up. So Richard Lovelady is a lefty out of the bullpen. I think he has uh, – looks like his picture is with the A's, so maybe he has some history with the, with the uh, Oakland Athletics or soon to be the Vegas Athletics. Um, and I have no problem if this is the case, but interesting question, should uh, uh, Jordan Wicks be moved to the, the bullpen? Would nope. it be nope. wise nope. to – Nope. See, I nope. you know, I saw a guy on the south side start out as a bullpen guy and develop into a starting pitcher who is uh, still alive on the ballot for the Hall of Fame. Yes, Mark Burley. And I don't I don't know why that should be forbidden for guys. If they're coming up and you're trying to develop them, you, you immediately are like, no, 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 <laughs> starting pitcher, starting pitcher. The game is changing so much. And guys are being used so differently they ever did that you're not really looking for people that can eat whatever, six, seven innings in a game. And and when you're a young guy and you, your arm isn't used to putting in a ton of time, why not use a guy out of the bullpen and see if you can develop him to a point where you start using him more? I think starters are starters. That's where you make your money. That's where you, I think you make the biggest impact. You want five of those guys, you need six or seven. Jordan Wicks, to me, in a small sample size, mm. 
last year looked like a guy that projected into a top-of-the-rotation starter. I would not mess around with that. That's why. You know, Farmer first-round pick, um, you know, done very well. Looks like he's on the way. Um, I don't – I got to tell you, I, I don't have a problem if you if you develop him in the way that you want to develop him. And what? I don't think there's anything wrong with using a guy as a – as a starter um, and then an opener, whatever way you want to Everything's look at Everything's about alternatives. That's where we're getting to. It's well, going it, to be a, a, a league of openers. Yeah, but if you – okay, if you sign Jordan Montgomery, hypothetically, fine. Jordan Wick starts in the bullpen. But if you don't, then you look at your rotation. You've got Justin Steele. You've got Kyle Hendricks. You've got Jamison Tyone. You've got Shota Imanaga. And then you've got, what, Javier Assad? Maybe. You've got Jordan Wicks. With Kate Horton on the way, Jordan Wicks, to me, projects as a guy who, if he continues his progress, can start the season in the rotation the way he ended last year. I like your Mike, Mark Burley reference. But, I, okay, you, want, you got a my blind spot. Every left-hander that comes into the league, you want to turn into Mark Burley because it worked for Burley. Because he, I don't think that's fair. I don't think I've done that with every left-hander. I'm talking about a Cubs team that has – some really good young pitching on the way up. And you're trying to figure – I mean, really good. And you're trying to figure out how many innings you're going to get out of everyone, et cetera. Why not use them – I mean, you could use a lot of different guys in that fashion. They're not just left-handers. But you could certainly you, – you, you're, you're the one who said they needed left-handed uh, relievers. Yes, they do. So why not develop one – while on his way to being a starter. I think because I like Wicks specifically more as a starter, projected to be a guy yeah. that you can give the ball in the big yeah. game. Because he picked, he pitched in some big moments last year. He had some good starts down the stretch when they thought they were headed to the playoffs and they didn't end up there. I, I, I would hate to see that messed with. I would rather them see them, I'd rather see them get a guy who is a natural relief pitcher, a bullpen guy, and projected to stay a bullpen guy. Um, I love that you brought up the new reliever, Love Lady, and a texture chicks, and Lady Love was a great song in the 70s. <laughs> you knew you are going to get that. <laughs> would that be oh. when you bring him in? <laughs> Lady Love. <laughs> that would be, that's going to be his walk-up music. <laughs> Probably would be. Hysterical. Why not? Oh, that's so good. That was really genuinely funny stuff. <laughs> Richard Lovelady. He did play for the A's last year, which Dustin was talking about what he watched last night on television when he fell into a rabbit hole. I was flipping around, and you know what was on last night? I think it was AMC. Huh. Moneyball. Oh, that's a great movie. You can't turn it off. Yeah, You know what? I, I you can't turn it that, off. That is one of those movies when it's on, you watch it. You know, yeah, I, I, I know, you know, what another movie like that, and this has nothing to do with baseball. You, do you know the movie, the game? Uh, uh, it's like, a it, it, whatever. It's a good movie. And I was, I was paging through something and I somehow came on that. And I literally sat there for an hour watching that movie. I've seen it like 15 times. What am I doing? Uh, but that I feel the same way about Moneyball. There are, there's something about that. I don't know what it is. It, it's, some of the older characters, the manager, the way the way it goes through it is so good. Yeah, because it, you also are trying to remember how much of the history you recall. Well, a twenty-game win streak is not a World Series. It's but not. They do have a nice win streak. 
But Brad Pitt, or I mean Billy Bean, did make himself quite a career out of that mm. movement, that season, that those th- no the, doubt the approach it. to you know well, a- the analytics unique, unique situation where you're no longer spending money and you're losing all your players in Oakland, and you got to mm-hmm. come up with some way of competing, and they did a good job of competing, and it did change. Why do you like him? Because he gets on base. Pretty good. That was pretty good. It changed the way teams evaluate players as well. And who is that supposed to be? That that is supposed to be. Um, he, they made up the character because he wouldn't go along with it. He didn't want to be in the movie. Um, the A's, Andrew Friedman, yeah, right? the A's executive or yeah. the former A's executive. Yeah, I just like the way Art Howe was portrayed as the grumpy, crotchety. Mm old manager that was resisting everything and who plays him it's a great american actor died of an overdose uh philip um philip seymour hoffman yep philip seymour hoffman great actor great actor pity that, yeah that he's taken from us or he whatever brad pitt was outstanding in that movie though brad pitt's great that looks movie. great yeah i don't think he looks any different now than he did then that was 2011 i haven't seen a pitt movie in a while what's his last movie I don't even know. Yeah. I think I saw him in People Magazine. Da, 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 da. Yeah, there's always some entertainment. All right, we've uh, we've got your calls. Someone wants to check in on this. 312-644-6767. We're talking about some of the offseason happenings. And are you stuck without Bellinger? Is it now gotten to a point where if you don't have him, you're going to judge the season, upcoming season, differently than if you do? Also, White Sox fans, did you hear the latest – Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, told Crane Chicago that the game South changer. Loop possibility is a game changer. Love it. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 the score. Here we go. Come on. Baseball commissioner Rob Manfred is the latest stakeholder to get on board with a potential spot for the new White Sox ballpark in the South Loop. The stadium would be on the 78, which is 62 acres of soon-to-be-developed riverfront land. Crane's Chicago Business reports that MLB commissioner Rob Manfred believes the project can be financed without introducing new taxes, possibly by reallocating hotel room tax revenues and leveraging existing tax increment financing deals. While the MLB won't formally decide on the stadium, Cranes reports that Manfred mentioned indirect subsidies, such as deducting development costs from revenue-sharing payments. Mully and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. That's our sister station, WBBM, their report. How about that? On what's going on with, uh, how, how what, about do we, that? what do we call it with the 78? The I know 78. Yeah, but I, I want I want to have a you know the the um, proposed South Loop socks. I mean, what do we South need? Loop Hitman? South Loop Hitman. Yeah, and that's my fear that we're going to find out there's a lot <laughs> of bodies buried in the seventy. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm so, just making fun of our history. It's a big development, I think. Al Capone. I think. Rat-a-tat-tat. tat. The commissioner of baseball telling Tommy Crane Chicago King. business that. This is a game changer potentially for the Sox moving downtown mm. is significant. And all of a sudden, you know, Sox are like, hey, pay attention to that man. Well, rather than Jerry I mean, Reinsdorf, like, ignore that man. Well, they they clearly have Roger on a on a campaign to sort of uh, spread the good news. And I think he's a better front man for doing that. Um, 
Manfred? Manfred. Okay. I'm yeah, calling Ro- him Roger Goodell. Yeah, Rob Manfred. Rob yes. Manfred. All right. They, 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 he's a better front man for information than maybe the the owner of the team. No doubt about it. Or that the would chairman. That would be wise because if Jerry Reinsdorf were front and center for this, I think a lot of Sox fans, and you could speak to this better than I could, would be like, yeah, okay, go away already. Well, you wonder if he was going to meet with the Nashville mayor about <laughs> right. it. I mean, that 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 was a that was a almost final straw for a lot of it, people. It was that I know. insulting. It was. It was just a scare tactic. Disingenuous, right? And it did not go over well. It did not. That that this is going over really. Yeah, well. because that wasn't that long ago. This was the same off season we're talking about here. The the faux meeting with the Nashville mayor, which meant nothing, nothing. But nothing, can we agree on that? Nothing. They have nothing. no plans of building a stadium. Coincidental, for the White Sox orchestrated and, nonsense. Yeah. Yes. Posturing, leverage play, all that stuff. This is different. This is real. This, if it weren't real, first of all, the commissioner of baseball wouldn't be saying what he said to a Chicago media outlet. And also, as much as we've talked about it. Somebody from the Sox organization would have been, eh, you might want to tap the brakes. Instead, right. you're getting the opposite. Well, and I, and I got to be honest with you. Like, I love the idea. I hope it happens. I think that um, there are a lot of kind of good things connected to the idea of it, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know um, how viable a project it is, I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I get a little cynical about the White Sox because I've been following them my whole life. Um, I think a lot of people are waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, so far, it's a great idea. The news on it is great. And you got the commissioner of baseball saying no new taxes. Th- these are all wonderful things that we're hearing. Now let's find out what the nitty-gritty is. Now, when we get down in the weeds of it, what is it? What are you really saying? And how are you really going to do it? And let us know if it's feasible or not. And, and you know, Bruce told us this could come together quickly. Uh, you know, a couple weeks, a month, this could come together. He told us that like a week I ago. I wonder if this is going to be something that we get at least the parameters for or great. announcement about before spring training. Spring training, teams report two weeks from tomorrow, within the next two weeks, that would fit the time frame that Bruce was referring to and certainly be consistent with the way the news has been coming and flying around on this. It came out of nowhere a couple weeks ago, very surprising, stunning really, and now it looks like, well, before spring training, we could get a little bit more clarity, and that would be great. That, that would be great. And the number one thing they need to say within you know, the third or fourth sentence or paragraph is how they plan to finance this and how this will be done without making a, in a, creating an additional burden for taxpayers. See, that that is the part that I think we're all waiting on. I, I mean, if you want to see that, uh, if that is the case. And, um, yeah, this, some of these texts are pretty funny. They're just not buying it. Uh, let's try Jake. Jake's on the Odyssey app. Hi, Jake. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, Good morning. Man. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I'm just chiming in on kind of the Cubs' lack of aggressiveness on free agency. I was just curious from the perspective of, you know, kind of how do you go all in on Shohei Otani and be willing to fork over all that money 
and not getting him done. I'm not saying that's an easy thing to get done, but then turning around and not wanting to use some of that money to get some position players, especially when you got a team like the Brewers going out and getting Reese Hoskins and guys like that. Thanks for the phone call. I think that's an understandable, natural reaction to the the pace of this offseason. I think that is what you look at. It started out with they mm. poached Craig Council and they were in the Otani sweepstakes. At least we were led to believe. I don't know how serious that ever got. But now it's like, well, the Brewers got Hoskins. They paid $34 million for that guy. Where's Where's our first baseman? Where's our pop in the lineup? I'm going to preach what you guys told me to practice. Patience. Right. Got to be patient. Yeah, and and listen, um, they were in on Otani, but they did not sign him to that contract. They did not get Shohei Otani. Um, I don't know um, how disappointing that is for some people. I'm curious uh, to know that, but I, I never – you know, it hit a point where you knew they weren't going to get Otani. You they were that. one of the many teams. It was a long shot all along. Were play- yes. It was always a long yes. shot. And if you went into this offseason and that was going to be, you know, check a box, this will be a successful offseason if they get Otani, yes or no, I don't think that's fair because you can still have a good offseason without getting Otani, but I do think it has to include Cody Bellinger. All right, check a box, yes or no. Will it be a good offseason if they don't get Bellinger? No. So he has That's to, my initial reaction. They, they have to get Cody Bellinger back in center field and playing some first base or wherever you want to put him. Yeah, he can also – he can DH. There's a lot of positions he, open for him. The alternatives aren't right now what I'm aware of, what we're aware of, better. They aren't even feasible. Not for a team that wants to contend. Not for a team that declared it will contend in 2024 because they've got the best manager in the game according to his salary. So I'm going to have to check the box as we sit here this morning. No, it would be a not be a good offseason if they don't get Bellinger. Should they go out and try to get some kind of home run hitter? Say a guy is going to hit 40 home runs if he's healthy this year. If they, if they want – name and name. Who, who would that be referring to? Look, if they could package a deal – the, the Mets aren't trading Pete Alonso. Um, they're not going to do that now, I don't believe. Who else is out there with 40 home runs? Aloy. They're not going to bring back Aloy. If the Cubs are going to make a trade with the White Sox, it, it, it should be for Dylan Cease, not Aloy Jimenez. They came together. You can get them both no, together. No, package deal, throw Just in. Six of the top ten. <laughs> Aloy, if he plays – and stays healthy, he says he's going to hit 40 or more home runs, just as you referenced. He said that in the Foul Territory uh, podcast. He's not healthy more than that. More than that. More than 40. That Now, you're telling that to AJ. Which will be you're higher? You're not exaggerating with him. Let me ask you this, Sox fan. Which will be higher in 2024? The number of home runs Eloy Jimenez hit or the number of games he misses? Wow. You, who once loved him, you turned on him like I'm, not, I'm asking a question. I'm not providing an answer. I'm not leading you down a road or a path. It's a fair question. Home runs, hit, or well, games missed. Well, if he's hitting 40 homers, he's going to stay healthy. That's what he said. If I'm healthy, I'll, I'll hit over 40. I'm homers. wondering because I, I got him penciled in probably conservatively 52. at 130 games. He's going to miss 32 games. 
Is he going to hit more than 32 home runs if he hit, if he plays in 130 games? Oh, he'll hit. Then 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 he's going to miss more games than he hits home runs. 32 is a bit greater than 30. The score is learned. Okay, he'll he'll hit 32. All right. <laughs> I'll just mess you up. In okay, your that'd be equal. I think if he can play, and and that includes whatever week or two he has to have off in the season because of a muscle strain, I think he can hit 30 home runs. That's the, that's, that's the metric I want to use with Aloy, though. He's got to hit more home runs than games he misses. So if he oh, hits 40. If he misses, if he misses 60, gonna, he's got, you, you got it laid see, out for him. If he misses 60 games, it's going to be a heck of a year if he meets that standard. 65 home runs in 98 uh, games would be historic yeah, and unrealistic. I mean, what are we looking for from him? Honestly, 100 games, 120 no, games? No, 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 no. You're not looking for 162 games. No, you're looking for 130 to 140 games. Mm. Stay healthy, 135 games. That sounds like he's healthy all year and they're giving him a day off. 135 games is what you should expect. He's going to pull a hamstring. He's going to strain a, a tendon. He's going run to through a wall. He's going to, you know, do something like that. That's kind of a fluky. I told you. They 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 did that thing where they had him coming in on cars and he's sitting in the back of this car and I'm like, "Someone hold on to him. Tie him down." <laughs> I was convinced he was going to fall out of the car. <laughs> it's a and it's, it's opening day. And that's not absurd. No, I was genuinely this afraid. This, Don't put this, him in this that is the position. kid who spent half of his childhood in the emergency room, you would think. You know, everyone knows somebody like this. If, they, if he goes to the park, he's going to come home with stitches or he's going to fall down the stairs. You know, Aloy was that kid, always getting injured, always finding a way. You know, he can't stay out of harm's way. That's the problem. All right. Uh, we've got Coach Wanstead. We're going to talk to Coach Wanstead. we got a couple segments with him. We're getting to some football. It's Mully and Haw on the score. Dave Wanstead, Bears head coach for six seasons. The Bears. The Bears. Super Bowl champion. How about them, Cowboys? Yeah! He has the greatest mustache you've ever seen. Some say it's a symptom of manliness. Others a cause. The mustache. When he hanging out with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Open up the door, it's Dave. Who? Dave, D-A-V-E. Dustin, I, we're not going to waste airtime on that, okay? Thank you. Next question. <laughs> thank you. Next question. Thank, thank Next question. Much. Dave Wunstead. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We love talking to Dave Wunstead and... Uh, all of our guests appear on the score hotline, as does Dave, powered by IBEW Local 9, Chicago's original powerhouse since 1892. Good morning, Coach. How are you? I am good, fellas. Um, absolutely. Yes. Uh, all's good here in Florida. Nothing, uh, nothing drastically new. Just um, watching some ball, trying to get a little bit of sun, having a few cigars. That's what's going on down here. Living the life, Dave. You're living the life. All right, let's start Uh, with Sunday. We can talk about who won, but let's talk about who lost first. What in the heck were the Ravens doing, ignoring the running game as much as they did? I think Lamar Jackson had two designed runs. How do you do that? How bad was the coaching negligence in that game? Well, it was about as bad as it could be, uh, really. I mean, I I use the word – 
what was Baltimore's identity on offense at the end of that game? What was their game plan? Eight runs, you're right, David, the entire game. I don't think they ran the ball once on, or maybe one time on second down the whole game. And guess where they were at in running the football in the NFL? Number one, you're leading the league in rushing, and you come in and you do that. And then even the passing game. I mean, I'm going to lump it all together. The running game was just ridiculous. But I'm going to say the passing game also from the standpoint that, you know, they're running takeoffs, and they're cut, the receivers are covered, and Lamar's throwing the ball, you know, five yards over the receiver's head. I mean, it was so disappointing. And, and I thought, you know, Baltimore's defense, they battled, they battled. Uh, they made adjustments the second half. Mike McDaniels, he came out the first half. They were playing kind of a, a, a shell coverage, keeping stuff in front of them, which worked. And then the second half, they became aggressive with the safety blitzes, Hamilton with uh, uh, Roquan coming, you know, some pressure stuff with the linebackers. Offensively, though, it was it was so disappointing. Uh, I, I, it really was. I mean, on, on a lot of fronts, but I think – I think we pretty much hit the the major points there, you know? You know, Dave, nonetheless, if they finish their drives, I mean, they fumble on the one-yard line and it's a touchback. They throw an interception into triple coverage. They had opportunities to win that game, but they didn't finish anything on offense. It It was stunning, a team that had been successful all year long, to make and I'm going to be honest about it, dumb, dumb penalties, dumb mistakes. They they yep. they lost. I mean, that was just poor picking up dumb penalties, stopping drives it, it by turning the ball over. It, it was just it was kind of an unforgivable offensive performance given how they played the whole season. Yeah, and, and given a team with John Harbaugh that, goes into that category of name five teams in the NFL that have a a winning culture. Uh, Baltimore would come up every time as one of those organizations, one of those teams. Well, it, it, it didn't even resemble that. If I just said to you guys, okay, one team ran the ball eight times. They had eight penalties that made a difference in the game, and they had three turnovers. Who do you think won the game? I mean, they, they right. gave themselves no no chance right. because of what you just talked about, Molly, and and then the other things, too. I mean, just so, so disappointing. And, um, uh, yeah, it, it didn't give their de- – I felt bad for their defense because their offense gave them no, no chance. You know, it reminded me of the story I tell all the time, Bill Parcells. Okay, you know, these guys always want to run the ball. Uh, in fact, I would say Bear fans, beware, beware. You're going to get an offense, offense to get rid of uh, the guy that was there because he was running Lamar too much, and let's get somebody in here that's going to open this thing up. Well, you opened it up. That's what you got right there, fellas. <laughs> let's look at the Lions, Dave, because I know Dan Campbell got to that point by following and trusting his gut, but it was the wrong decision, in our opinion, about the – kicking the field goal in the fourth quarter midway through to tie the game. What did you think? And overall, how would you evaluate what Dan Campbell did and how he handled it afterward? Well, I, I think we have to, first of all, say, hey, they were they went for it on fourth down more than any team in the last century, okay, this year. Century, not 
in the last five years or, or last two years, in the last century. Uh, so that's what they did. In the last two years since he's been the head coach, that's what they do. So I don't think anybody was shocked. The disappointing thing, and I said this last week on the show here, I said Dan Campbell, the biggest concern I had about Detroit, if you remember, I said Dan Campbell getting emotional and making decisions, fake punts, going for it without seeing the big picture of the game. Uh, I can tell you this from being a head coach all those years and being with offensive coordinators, there's a big difference when you have a three-score lead as compared to a two-score lead, how you call plays. If you're thinking we got to score three times, you're, you're liable to get a team to go into it a hurry-up offense. Let's go. You know, we got to get going. We can't be huddling up. We can't be wasting time. So, uh, you know, to, to me, you got to look at it from that that perspective, I think. And uh, and then I always do this thing. And, and, and I know, you know, the percentages are going to – the analytics are going to say, well, it was just as good odds. Okay, fine. Put that aside. But – my coaches would always say, Coach, what are we going to do? It's fourth and goal on the five. What are we going to do? And I say, do you know what I'm going to do? If it's at home, uh, well, let's talk about going for it. If it's on the road, we are taking the points. And I, I listened to four players yesterday from San Francisco, as you did, and probably all of our listeners did. It was Bosa, McCaffrey, uh, Fred Warner. And you know what they all said the turning point in the game is? When they went for the uh, went for it on fourth down and didn't make it in the third quarter, that was in their mind the turning point in the game. The crowd got into it, they got re-energized, and the rest is history. All right, we're yep. gonna be we're gonna be right back with Coach Wanstat. We'll get into a little bit more of the weekend stuff. I have a question for you, uh, Dave, and then we'll maybe talk about how these teams match up, etc. There's a lot to get to. He's Coach Wanstead. We'll be right back with him here on The Score. Dave Wanstead hanging out with Mully and Ha on 670 The Score. Mully and Ha, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Great to talk to Coach Wanstead. And he's on The Score Hotline, powered by IBEW Local 9, Chicago's original powerhouse since 1892. So, Dave, I, I just had to – ask you about what you saw from Mahomes in that game. And, you know, we had gone into the playoffs with this idea that guy had never won on the road, and now he's won a couple games on the road. And it's not just that he can win on the road. It's the composure that he shows. You know, you you talk about a nine-minute drive in the first half where they march down the field, and they don't make mistakes, and they don't make errors, and they don't – and then you get later in the game, and there's two straight snaps that are on the ground, and he just picks them up, and he throws a pass, and he's not overwhelmed by calls going wrong around him or the ball on the ground. He's just this composed figure, and we've heard people say the most composed quarterback since Tom Brady, and that's Brady had – he just knew how to win. He knew what the formula was, and he never – uh, panicked over anything. No excuses. And, and that's what we saw yeah. from Patrick Mahomes. And I know he's got a great tight end, and I thought the guy played the game of his life, but good God, is that guy, what a great player. Absolutely. And you know what, Molly? I said it yesterday. I did a, a story on the 33rd team, actually, right after the game. 
And I said, fellas, and you just said it, Molly. I said, you know who this guy reminds me of? And and I was at the Dolphins when, when Brady started his career. I, I competed against him uh, all, a lot. And I said, this guy reminds me of Tom Brady. And from the standpoint that I remember the when they were playing, New England was playing Seattle in a Super Bowl in Arizona. I was working that game for Fox. And Brady completed seven passes in a row. They were Seattle was playing a real soft coverage. And he completed seven passes in a row that were four yards or less. And I remember thinking to myself, God, that guy, he gets the big picture. And that's what Mahomes does. And I, and, and, and I want to set it up by saying this. The, the, nobody in the NFL right now does a better job of making adjustments than Andy Reid and Spagnola, their defensive coordinator. I got to give him just as much love as the offense on this, guys. We got to remember, uh, Baltimore at home was averaging what thirty-six points a game or something. I mean, they uh, they they played fantastic. When they played the week before that, and I'm I'm jumping ahead to make a point here. They're playing uh, Buffalo in Buffalo, and Josh Allen's having a big half. They run the ball for about one fifty. Allen has about seventy yards rushing or sixty, and they come out the second half and they completely change the, the defensive game plan and they shut them down in the second half. Well, they came into this. My point is, offensively, how did Kansas City win the Super Bowl last year? They come out at halftime, and Andy Reid has said, enough of this passing. Pacheco, you're our guy. And they start pumping the ball to Pacheco. Philadelphia was not ready for it. Philadelphia physically was not mentally up for the run game. They had a 10-point lead. They thought it would be easy. And Kansas City wins the game. My point is, that's two examples of what this staff does at Kansas City. Now, you can make all the adjustments you want as a coach, but if you don't have players that can execute it and understand it, it means nothing, guys. And Tom Brady, I'm sure him and Andy sat down, and Andy said, listen, you know, we're going to be conservative to start this thing off. We're going to throw – you know, two-yard passes, little screens to Kelsey, and we're going to throw screens to the back, and let's get the tep- – what does Mahomes do? He doesn't force anything. And then as the game's going on, Andy and him, I could just hear the conversation. Hey, we got this game in hand. I don't know. You know, they're, they're all over the place over there. Patrick, we just can't turn the ball over. Let's be smart. Okay, make good decisions. We're going to win this game. You got it, Coach. I, I understand. And that, that was Tom Brady. That, that's what he did. Big picture knowledge of the game of football. Offense, defense, special teams, on the road, at home. How's the other team doing? Can they score and catch? It's, uh, it, it, you're right on point, Molly, David. I mean, the points you're saying, uh, this kid really, really gets it. The big picture. The ultimate game manager, if you will. So, <laughs> I love it, game manager. Don't say that, Dave. I know, I know. Speaking of Brock Purdy, Dave, speaking of Brock Purdy, the challenge is great. Again, he, for the third week in a row, is going to face a defense that's going to you know, make him make plays. I thought Steve Spagnuolo, it's a great point by you. He was the unsung hero of the weekend. I wonder what he has in store for the 49ers. All those weapons and the young quarterback that I think has started slow in these playoffs – but finish strong. How equipped do you think Purdy is for this challenge now, and what do you think about the way he's played so far? 
Oh, I think he's going to see something different. Uh, this Kansas City defense is, is really I'm, – I'm just all in with these guys. Uh, I, I think it's going to be difficult. I think they got the personnel to match up with them. Okay, that's the biggest thing. You have guys that can halfway cover and tackle McCaffrey and cover Devo. I, I believe they do. I believe they do. Uh, and, and, and just what I said, David, whatever they come out with San Francisco, Spagnuolo is going to make adjustments. And this team can make adjustments on the run, offense and defense, and, uh, and, and find ways to win. You know, and let me just say this about Purdy. Everybody wants to say, oh, he's got great players. Go back to Dallas. You want to say that about Troy Aikman? We had Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin. I mean, go back farther with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm using some of the guys that, you know, Terry Bradshaw had Lynn Swan and Franco Harris. I mean, every Super Bowl team, let's be real. They, if a quarterback is, is playing good, he's got good people surrounding him. So, uh, I I, uh, I don't buy into that. And what Purdy did the last two weeks is what I've been saying in Chicago. What have I said for two years? How do you separate quarterbacks? Your team's down by ten in the fourth quarter with you know less you know ten minutes to go. Can he take you down the field and score twice and win the game? This kid has done it. Um, it's fascinating to me because I think when we look at these two teams in the Super Bowl. We say, all right, you know, if you've got the first pick in the draft, do you want to take a quarterback and hope he's Mahomes and hope he's composed and hope that he's going to lead you consistent, consistently to the playoffs? Or do you look at it and say, wow, you know, you need a system where a quarterback can operate in, them, in it, be it um, whomever, and you've got all these all pros all over the place, and he's just got to distribute the ball, and you're going to be able to run after the catch, and you're going to be able to do great things with the game. It's it's almost like two types of quarterback, a first-round guy in Mahomes, a great player, versus a guy that was the last pick in a draft but fits a system. Which is the answer? Who Who, well, who makes you better? I think there's, I think there's, you've got to have overlap to, to be where these teams are at. And my point is, sure, you can say Purdy gets the ball, but he's getting, he's making good decisions, Molly. He's getting the ball to the right guy. And what was he, 10 of 15 at one time? He made three third down throws that Patrick Mahomes would, would make. Okay. I mean, you know, they were accurate throws, they were covered, and he put the ball where it was supposed to be. So is he a game management? But he also makes plays when he has to make plays. And then on the other side, Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's the magic man. He can do whatever. But when the game is in hand, as it was, he can pull the reins in and go to the game manager. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm probably not answering your question, but I think you got to, you know, you can have one or the other and you'll probably be okay. You'll probably be okay. But to go to the Super Bowl, if it's a game manager, he's got to be able to step up and make plays when the time calls for it. And when if it's a playmaker, he's got to understand when is it time to be a game manager. So I, I think, you know, you've got to be able to – if you want to go to the Super Bowl, you've got to have a guy who can do both. I really, truly believe that. So the Bears continued their quest to look for that guy, and they hired a quarterback's coach, Kerry Joseph, yeah, they got Eric Washington to be the defensive coordinator. We've talked about Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator. But, Dave, I want to ask you, 
about how important the quarterback's coach really is. We tend to talk a lot about who that guy is going to be and what he's going to have to work with. If you have the right quarterback, how much does he need coached? And how important is that position coach to the Bears in this offseason where they may be dealing with the rookie or they may be trying to unlock something in Justin Fields? Oh, it's very important, you know, because he's the guy, the offensive coordinator, for, for depending on how it's structured, generally he's talking to the wide receivers and he's talking to the backs and he's talking to the line about the protections and the quarterback. It's it's a big picture guy. And your quarterback coach is the guy that when it's over or something happens, you're pulling aside, you're closing the door. It's a one-on-one conversation. And he's really the guy that probably gets closer to him than anyone uh, when things are good or things are bad, he's the guy that's kind of the, the stabilizing force with the quarterback. So I, I think that's, uh, I think it's very important, whichever way the Bears go. You know, I, I really believe that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be important. He's going to have a – he'll have a big job if it's Fields or if it's Caleb Williams. We'll obviously talk about uh, the, your Super Bowl pick next week. I'm just wondering if you have a lean at this point. And well, who do you think? And well, from what I, I, I said mean, right now, yeah. who would you? Who do, I'm not going to tell you if you're right or not. Oh, I, I'll say think? I would say that Mahomes getting points for the third straight game is hard to overlook. You're picking the Chiefs because you love the defense, and you're picking the Chiefs, Dave. All right, I got to go, guys. Good talk <laughs> to you. <laughs> Uh, it's so good. It's so good. We got time. We got time. I mean, we'll, let me think about it this week. We'll see what happens. We'll talk. Uh, you know. Good. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got plenty of time. Um. All right. So, so here we are, and the the uh, senior ball begins. And Dave, obviously, everyone's down at the senior ball. You don't get all the players that are going to be drafted, but you get a lot of information about different players and guys that. Uh, that are, are definitely going to be within the draft. It might not – I mean, whatever. I think 36% of the, of the, uh, uh, of the draft consists of, of senior bowl players. That's a very high number. Usually get a lot of guys drafted out of that game. We know uh, the Bears were down there, and Luke Getze found their backup quarterback in, in Tyson Bajan. Um, what do you look for – at the Senior Bowl, I, this is just really the beginning in earnest of all these bowl games and all these looks at, at players, et cetera. What is the value of it? Well, the, the, the best thing that it separates the Senior Bowls from a lot of them is, besides the talent, is that NFL coaches structure the practices to see what they want to see. In other words, it's going to be a lot less of the teamwork and it's going to be a more individual, a receiver going against the defensive back, running backs going against the linebackers, offensive line going against defensive line. So you're going to get a close up view of these kids, you know, number one, their ability level, number two, you know, the intangibles, how they compete against good talent. Some of these kids uh, are coming from schools. They're very talented, but they've never lined up and they've gone against the guy from Michigan or Alabama. So, you know, how, how are they going to be able to, to handle that mentally? Uh, so all those things, and it's changed a little bit, guys, from the standpoint back in the day, uh, we used to get on there and it was just practices. It was more, pra- now they have interviews down there and, and they're, it's almost less practice and as much one-on-one time with coaches and, 
and players. So you're getting the, you know, in addition to the combine where you have the chance to meet with them one-on-one, you're really getting another face-to-face with a player that, uh, uh, that you might have some questions about. So it's, it's it's good for a lot of a lot of different ways. It, it truly is. It's a it's a good jump start. It's a good for all the coaches getting together. You know, right. I don't know how many of them still go, but guys get down there. We would talk. I mean, I remember sitting at a bar down there for a long time with with a, another defensive coach, and we were talking strategy till two in the morning. So you know, I always used it for a way like that to to, to try to better yourself uh, from a, a football standpoint too. Dave, I want to ask you about the Lions again because I wonder how much long-term damage a loss like this can have on a franchise, especially one that could be losing its offensive coordinator. Ben Johnson interviewing with the Commanders is a candidate in Seattle as well, and we know how what good of a how well he he called plays over the last couple seasons. Dan Campbell talked like he told his team that might never be here again because every season is different. And the way they lost in the franchise that does seem a little bit like they're maybe cursed in some ways. How do you stop that as a coach from being more than just the end of the season loss? One that just is, yes, painful, but you can use it as maybe a platform to to improve next year. How do you stop that from being as catastrophic as it seems? It's, it's, it's very difficult. Now, Dan Campbell's right. Every year is new. Uh, from the standpoint of the team, your team chemistry is new. It's never going to pick up just where it left off. So, because you're going to have new players, whether it be draft picks. I mean, look at all the draft picks that contributed to this team getting where they're at. I mean, nobody did a better job with the draft picks than, than Detroit. Uh, the only way you get this out of your gut is you got to go further than, which is obviously the Super Bowl. Otherwise, this game is going to haunt Dan Campbell and those players and that organization for maybe ever if they don't get back there. I mean, because they know that they they had the lead and they had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. The only way to get that feeling out of your gut, and I've been there on both sides of it, is to capture it, you know, and uh, and go further. Um, you know, we, we lost the – Penn State, my first time of doing this in the national championship game. And, uh, you know, it, we, it, it, it was miserable. We lost Vinny Testaverde, and we lost like seven first-round draft. One, seven. We lost a ton of first-round picks. Jerome Brown and Vinny Testaverde and Benny Blades. And uh, we, weren't, we were a young team coming back. And somehow, some way, we found a way to win the national championship the next year. And that devastating loss became a memory uh without that we'd still be living with it so that's the only way i know is to get rid of it david is to to go further and and accomplish it the next time and that's going to be tough that is going to be difficult but uh yeah i gotta hey, tell I'll, you I'll, yeah I'll, go I'll leave i'll leave you guys and our listeners i'd be curious what they would think about this does baltimore's loss does that hurt justin fields or help him Good question, Dave. Because if you want to take away the Lamar Jackson, or you want to, you're looking at the the, the stylistic and with a running quarterback yep, and all those yep, things. Yep, yep, I, yep, exactly. I I, I I think they're very similar. I, you know, a little different, but I does does that performance in a big game getting to the Super Bowl, Lamar not getting there, but putting up all the numbers and being a great player, be the MVP. 
but not being able to finish and get to the Super Bowl, does that performance by him, does that have any bearing when you evaluate Justin Fields? And I'm not doing it. I'm throwing it out there to the, the listeners and everybody. Does that does that change a perception? Well, you know, maybe uh, maybe we need a different style. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there, you know? If you're looking for a reason to defend your argument, you can find one there. I don't think you need that, but if you are looking for one, that is an example of the ceiling that maybe a team with the running quarterback finds itself lower than you would want it. Yep. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, it's just a thought. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, I was, I was just after the game. I was thinking of that and said, now do, do they factor that in or not? I don't know. I'm not making that decision, but it's definitely something you gotta, you gotta think about. Great stuff, Dave. Always appreciate your perspective, and you always teach us stuff. And that's a good question. Thank Thanks, you, Coach. Buddy. Okay, guys. Good talking to you. Bye, bye. That is Coach Wanstead. That's an interesting idea. If you can, if you're looking for a reason, you can find one there. I, yeah. I, I don't want to do that. And I'll explain why when we come back. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6 7 to the score. Does Baltimore's loss, does that hurt Justin Fields or help him? Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6 7 to the score. Uh, my impulse in answering that question, David, would be that it hurts him. Okay. That's just my impulse. That's a fair answer. I, I appreciate you being honest about it because impulsively, that is the way you want to say yes or no. Well, yeah, I'm yeah, just saying. Okay. I, if we think it through and talk it through, maybe I change my Th- mind. This is why it. I'm thinking it through and talking it through and saying that I'm resisting that urge because for two reasons. Number one, the Ravens called a terrible game. Awful. And, and they nearly won. I would not want to. Had they converted. Right. But I would not want to hold or form my opinion about another player in another town and another team based on the incompetence of the offensive coordinator to grasp the obvious in a big game. The, they had two designed runs. They did not right. use the running game to set up the passing game. They had too many dropbacks for Lamar Jackson. So if you have a quarterback of, of his – skill set I don't think they for whatever reason they remembered how to utilize that in the biggest moment of the season so I wouldn't want to apply that to my opinion on somebody else so that's the first reason the other one would be trying to stay consistent I said going in there really isn't a comp between Lamar Jackson former MVP and Justin Fields just because they have similar skill sets so avoid maybe you know, if they go to the Super Bowl, avoid trying to use that logic to say the Bears can do that too because there's so many differences. So if I'm not going to say that applies when things would go well, I don't want to use it by, with the same idea because things didn't. That's fair. I, I think my problem with it is that there were two quarterbacks under the most scrutiny going into this weekend, and they were, uh, they were Brock Purdy. And Lamar Jackson by a mile. Lamar has been phenomenal. I think what happened was that when the Chiefs were able to hold the ball for nine minutes and score and keep the game and take a lead, I think there was a loss of composure within 
the Ravens. I think the Ravens have beaten every team and beaten them so well and generally went into that game feeling like the best team in the league and the most balanced team. And all of a sudden, things are going the wrong way. And they they got into a mode where they lost their identity. They also were incredibly undisciplined in the way they were operating and the dumb penalties they picked. That's coaching. Right. And I think that their coaching, they were outcoached on the day by a mile, sadly. And then when you lost composure within your playing, within your players, within your roster, you know, the the idea that Zay Flowers um, is wide open and catches a touchdown and they tie the game, you thought, wow, they're going to be able to do that. They're going to be able to to uh, go down the field and, and Lamar is going to be able to score quickly and all that. And it just didn't happen. And then when they had to drive two touchdowns, they you know they get this they get this unbelievable gift of a play down the field, and then he gets called for a penalty. They come back fifteen yards, and he eventually fumbles into the end zone. Yep. And David, that that's just that was just a killer play. the The loss of the ball, the loss of the points on that drive, that was unbelievable. And then you come down again and you throw a pick into it, he threw that into triple coverage and a lot of people complain well that was pi it was pi no the the guy it, caught the ball, ball ahead of every yeah. it was it was just a terrible decision it was a bad decision born of frustration that yes. he in, in, endured the entire day exactly so right so i think that it was just not his day so i would not want to right make that connection the only way that i think again you could have probably made some sort of parallel or or or, or comparison would be if the Ravens got to the Super Bowl. You yep. could use that as the impetus for an argument to say, see, you can do that in Chicago if you surround a quarterback with other weapons and everything else that, that Lamar Jackson has had, things that Justin Fields have not has not. And and I don't compare those two players. I don't see them. I think that that the Ravens are able to, to do a lot more in the passing game than the Bears are. I think that Justin Fields played well when he came back from his injury uh, toward the end of the season. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure how much I I would want to build off that. I'm not sure how good the opponents were in those games. I I think we may convince ourselves uh, they had a very easy schedule and they lost 10 games. And they, whenever they played a good team, their best win of the year by a mile was the Lions, and they had lost – to the Lions a couple weeks before when they should have won that game. So until you're winning with consistency and until you're able to to stack wins by having the quarterback perform well late in the game, I'm going to feel like, you know, I'm getting the wrong message on this stuff. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at it. And Justin Fields, you know, we will and everyone is comparing him to Caleb Williams, but I don't know that it's always going to come down to that. Two things can be true. that Caleb Williams is, is the guy that you want to draft in this year's draft. And Justin Fields can be a starting quarterback somewhere in the league next year. Right. So you're not comparing Caleb Williams to Justin Fields as much as you're comparing him to other number one overall draft picks at the quarterback position and why this is one of those guys that you have to take. 
It's not Blake Bortles. It's not Kenny Pickett. It's not the first quarterback taken uh, in in a draft. It's the number one overall pick in the draft. And you see what is the, what is the mantra you go into every draft following best player available. Yeah, and and I I got to tell you, I think that maybe maybe they'll come up with a different interpretation. You know, this process is just beginning, and it takes a while. And, and who knows? Maybe they come to a conclusion that there's a different quarterback they should take at number one overall. I, I'm not I, – I don't understand it if that happens, but I'm just saying things get nutty around a draft. And if, uh, if indeed they decide that someone else is the player they prefer at the position, maybe they can – There's just so many rankings th- that have him – Number one, oh, it's and not, not even, even close. close. Yeah, it's not even it, close. And and you may, and, you may. But have I'm a, just saying, I don't know how they're going to conclude, and I don't know what the relationship they're going to have. What kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you would think that the kid is desperate to get into the league and and you know start the clock on his uh, contract and and go to a team that looks like it's on the rise, and the Bears are selling that, but you don't know. Let's just say he, you know, they have a bad, they have a bad connection, and they don't feel like he's the guy. I, I, I don't know how that would happen, but you know, he's a very emotional kid. He yeah. might say something they don't like. That's I, true. I'm just those those things I, are all possible. To, I'm trying to wait you, to see what happens. You're leaving yourself some wiggle room. That's me. Three one two. I like you, to you wiggle. Are, you're a wiggler. Um, you're kind of wiggly. You're you're wiggly. Yeah, uh, and that, you know, that's understandable. I live in a pineapple under the sea. <laughs> 312 texter, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player available. Well, fair enough. He may have a higher score, but you know what I mean in terms of yeah, no, you're, going, you're going to go after right. the quarterback if he's uh, there to if he's there for the taking. You're not going to pass up on that. What did you think of what Dave said about the lasting impact this could have on the Lions? Do you think that's a real thing? Do you think that's something that – Well, I, I got to tell you, I thought that, that Dan Campbell – uh, the not, after losing that game, the way they lost it, up 17 points, you know, shut out after that until the the last of the game, to, to lose in that fashion, uh, you know, listen, they got a lot of talent, and I think that they do a good job procuring talent. I'll be I'll be curious to see what they do. You know, clearly they um, they have a lot of needs. Clearly they got to start with the secondary. Don't you agree? Yeah, but. You know, at some point, you better get a pass rusher to help Hutchinson, who was double-teamed the entire game. Uh, you got to have somebody who can win one-on-one on the other side, and he'll be 10 times better. He had 11 and a half sacks as a rookie, which is awesome. And, and when you get that pass rusher, you will make your secondary better. I think that's a higher priority for them. I, I, but I'm saying they also, you know, they got a lot of guys heading to free agency, yep. and they need corners. They probably need – I mean, I, I've, I would recommend – they sign one on the free agent market and then they draft one, and, and I don't know if I, I don't know if if uh, that's the priority at that spot in the draft. I don't know who's available you, or whatever, but you better address your pass rush uh, on uh, and and help your corners. I do wonder if the news on Monday that Jared Goff could be in line for a new contract in the offseason, long term commitment to him, is that good or bad news from the Bears' perspective? Do you want Jared Goff in Detroit over the long haul? Did or is this season one of those ones that was a bounce back year? Very strong 
performance, but do you think that he could they get better you know, down the road with than, he, than they have with Goff? He's still relatively young. I don't think they have a choice. I think they got to bring him back. I don't know how, how much you can pay him. Well, that's this is these are all <laughs> good questions. I I mean personally, I don't think he's a top ten quarterback, and I personally don't think that there is um, how do you put it. I think he's helped a lot by some of the players around him. In other words, I like their offensive line. You know, Frank Ragnow's a great player. Penny Sewell's a great player. I think that they've got some decent receivers. Um, is he the best um, quarterback Brown, in the division? Sam Laporta? No. Who is? Jordan Love. Okay. Love one, Goff two, Cousins three? Yeah. Is Cousins coming back? No. Cousins got to be higher than that, doesn't he? Um, is he coming back? If he goes back to the Vikings, how would you rank him? Curious. Yeah, I, I would have to think about that for more than 30 seconds. Okay, I, I know. I, I, I think that. Wiggly? I think I, I'm afraid that Jordan Love might be I know. a good player. That's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. He could be first, Cousins could be second, Goff could be third, and whoever the Bears have is fourth right now. Right. If it's a rookie or if it's Justin Fields. Right now. To be continued. Okay. Let's talk to Florio. Now you've now you've stopped me a little no bit. No problem, Wiggly. All right. <laughs> Let's talk to Mike Florio next. Mr. Pro Football Talk will join us on Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 of the score. Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com, NBC Sports, Twitter.com slash ProFootballTalk. Day by day! Day by day! We get better and better! We get better and better! We can't be NFL insider Mike Florio with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We love our chance to talk to Mike Florio. And we got some breaking news about the Bears. They have hired a wide receivers coach. Chris Beattie is the new wide receivers coach. Uh, BD coach DJ Moore in Maryland for a year back in the day. Well, that's so good. That's, DJ Moore. Yeah, nice, nice thing. I wonder how uh, he played a role in this process. And, uh, and we love our chance to talk to Mike Florio. He joins us now on the score hotline powered by IBEW Local 9, Chicago's original powerhouse since 1892. Michael, good morning. How are you? What's up, guys? Doing great. How are you? Doing well. You know, we're kind of weighing all this stuff as we look at uh, where the Bears are at, right? We see the Super Bowl through the prism of, you know, do you you use the number one pick to try to get someone as good as Patrick Mahomes because, gosh, he's good? Or do you say, well, all you need is if the coach does his job right, any quarterback fits the system and you can just trade down – collect a bunch of all pros and uh, and maybe get a quarterback to, to stick in the middle of that. Maybe Justin Fields with more around him could be uh, a, a better version of, uh, of, Zach, of uh, Brock Purdy. What, what do you think? Well, either one potentially works if you have the right players. And if you're looking at a guy who's going to be a generational, can't-miss, Hall of Fame, best-ever talent, You take that guy and you never look back. The problem is no one knows who's going to become the generational talent. Nine teams passed on Patrick Mahomes. Chris Sims and I were talking about this today. Andy Reid 
believed Mahomes was going to be great. Sean Payton believed Mahomes was going to be great and almost took him. If the Chiefs don't move to 10, the Saints, I believe, take Mahomes at 11 and say, see you later to Drew Brees sooner than they did. There were a couple of others that had an inkling Mahomes was going to be great, but the Bears didn't. The Browns (laughs) didn't. The 49ers didn't even give him a second look. They were waiting for Kirk Cousins a year later. So it's easy to have the conversation philosophically. It's harder to get the guy. If you know Caleb Williams or even Drake May is going to be Mahomes-like, no-brainer. But nobody knows that, and nobody will know that. I think it's always better, especially a team that has been waiting, coming up on 40 years, to win a Super Bowl since the 85 team did it. It's better and it's safer and it's smarter to maximize your players, move out of that first pick, get as many draft picks as you can. Maybe you get lucky next year and the first round pick from the team that moves up gives you the first overall pick again. So (laughs) that continues to be my belief because there's no way of knowing with any degree of certainty where the greats are going to come from. Mahomes was 10th. Brady was 199th. You never know. How many of the all-time greats were the first overall pick? Peyton Manning? John Elway? There's a number one overall pick every year. And they rarely become all-time greats. All right, Mike, coming out of Sunday's NFC Championship game, Dan Campbell, passionate guy, true to his personality, or overmatched coach, couldn't meet the moment, aggressive to a fault. Which would would you lean aggressive to a fault i think that's the issue the metaphor i tried to come up with yesterday and it's the best i could do due to my impaired brain but you've got to have a boxing ring and then you've got to have a table with a chessboard on it and you've got to know when it's time to climb out of the boxing ring and go play chess By the second half, up 24-7, and then 24-10 after the 49ers drove down, drive petered out at the Detroit 25, fourth and eight, kicked the field goal, made it 24-10. When you are in position after that, fourth and two from the 28 of the San Francisco 49ers, when you're in a position to put a two-score game back to a three-score game with seven minutes left in the third quarter, 22 minutes left in the game, you say yes to that. You don't say no to that. You don't say, I'm going to continue to be aggressive because I've always been aggressive and I always am aggressive. I think it's a mistake to cling to your identity as an NFL team. College team, yes, because your players may be good enough, it doesn't matter. When you are always the same thing at the NFL level, somebody's going to use it against you at some point. Somebody's going to understand this is what they do. And I can't help but wonder whether at some level Kyle Shanahan opted for the field goal when he desperately needed a touchdown because he just instinctively recognized. Maybe they'll give us one. We know how they are. We know they're aggressive. Maybe they'll open the door for us. And for everything that happened, and there was so much that happened during that game, the door opened to the 49ers stealing it when Dan Campbell went for it on fourth and two or three from the 28, up 24-10, gave the ball back to the 49ers. Next thing you know, ball bounces off face mask. Brandon Ayuk makes a Lynn Swan catch from Super Bowl 10. Then there's a fumble. Then it's tied. And then that's it for the Detroit Lions. Mike, we, we discovered yesterday that Charles Omenahu will not be able to play in the game. He, with the big strip sack, 
uh, in the uh, in the championship game will uh, will have to sit out the uh, the Super Bowl because he has an ACL injury. Um, you know, obviously a total drag to hear that for the player for the team, but I'm wondering, you know. Are we going to hear anything about Christian McCaffrey? He took a really bad fall in that game, kind of landed on his head. They were working on his neck a little bit. I Listen, he'll be on the field and he'll score a touchdown and everything, but that looked pretty awful. It was a weird visual to see somebody pressing two hands down, almost like with the CPR, the, yeah. the one hand over the other, on the back of McCaffrey's shoulder pads. Like, what is that going to do to whatever's going on inside of his body, pressing on his shoulder pads? But regardless, they're the trained professionals, and fortunately, I'm not. Um, but yeah, he'll be fine. I, now, there's no obligation yet to disclose injuries. They do a weird series of injury reports Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of the week before the week of Super Bowl, just because that's what they always do. That's when they have an obligation to disclose if he is injured. Yesterday, Kyle Shanahan mentioned George Kittle as being day-to-day with a toe and cornerback Ambry Thomas day-to-day with an ankle. Didn't mention McCaffrey. McCaffrey said he's fine, even though he exited the game early. But we'll see. But you're right. He came down awkwardly, may have had a stinger, may have had something. But this guy finds a way to play through anything Mm -hmm. and everything. He's playing the most violent physical position in the game, and he always answers the bell. And he's not going to miss his first shot at the Super Bowl, that's for sure. Quickly, Mike. So players and staff are going to be staying 35 minutes from the Strip in Vegas. And the NFL updated the gambling policy to ban all forms of gambling for Super Bowl participants. No sports betting, no casino games, nothing at all. How are they going to enforce that? And how realistic is that? Well, I think it's up to the teams to make sure that the players – are secured and i don't know how much time they have to themselves to go do whatever they want to do but you just got to make it clear to your guys what's riding on it they can always come back and casino gamble after the season if they want to now the sports book thing it's a weird the whole thing is weird the nfl's got a conference call coming up later today about sports gambling and their efforts to encourage responsible wagering The NFL has created this minefield that it's just kind of blissfully ignorant while it's standing in the middle of it. The NFL believes that the Supreme Court decision from May of 2018 forced it to embrace legalized gambling. It didn't. It could continue to hate it as much as it hated it before the Supreme Court opened the floodgates for as many states as desire to have legalized gambling. The NFL is trying to thread this needle of stuffing their pockets with as many dollars as possible from FanDuel and DraftKings and BetMGM and this one and that one, while also moralizing to the players under this weird umbrella of integrity of the game. Doing these deals undermines the integrity of the game, but they don't worry about that because there's too much money to be made. The whole thing, to me, is an awkward, confusing mess. It is rife with hypocrisy, and we're all going to Vegas next week, and nobody's going to care. (laughs) <laughs> well put you're the best mike thank you buddy thanks Take, guys yep that is my Oreo. hilarious exactly right absolutely right all right we're gonna bring in jared payton we'll talk to him about what we witness and what we expect we'll do that next molly and hall on the score Get down. jared payton i hear my name again and i'm like 
who's calling me? So I look back at the people working and it's not them. It's this guy that's sitting down right by the door and he goes, Jared, man, man, I love you on the score, man. So awesome. I was like, I was like, I'm going to be on at nine o'clock. Tune in. The son of sweetness. One man, one career, one team for 200. Walter Payton, 13 seasons for these. Deanna. Who are the Chicago Bears? The Bears, yes. Sports anchor for WGN, former running back great. Peyton again, already two touchdowns. There it is. There's the touchdown. The Jared Payton Show today. Jared Payton with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Always fun to talk to Jared Payton, and he joins us. On the score hotline powered by IBEW, Local 9, Chicago's original powerhouse since 1892. Hey, Jared, how are you this morning? Oh, Mully and Hall. I'm good. I was just uh, sending out the little, uh, let everybody know on X that I'm on the show this morning. So just wanted to show you're, some love. How you guys you're doing? You're always so good about that, Jared, kind of I'm, using I'm, your platforms, plural. Kind of let hey. people know what you're doing. <laughs> you, you got to sometimes, you know, hard oh, man. You got to let did, people know. And did you tell your there. TikTok audience that you're going to be on today? I yeah, I actually did it with a dance. So <laughs> all you got to do is just go check it out. It's uh, nah, man. But man, how did you guys enjoy football over the weekend or oh, what? Yeah. Oh man, I, I you know I got to tell you, I'm going through this really rough period where. That, like the first Monday night game we didn't have till August. And then you get to that, and the, I thought the games were great. I was totally in for all of it. A nice kind of seven- or eight-hour watch. And now we got the Super Bowl coming up. But it's like, what then must we do? What happens to our lives? There is a, there is a hint of regret already about the season closing down. I know it's uh, it's tough, you know, for me, I, I just really enjoy the whole entire, especially for the bears. I'm so locked in of what the bears are doing all season long that, you know, now you start to, you know, sit back and go, Holy cow, this season's just flew by. And I, yep. my year goes by my year goes by basically the super bowl, not January 1st. It's like right. after the super bowl for our family and the man of the year award and everything we do at the super bowl, right. man, it's a, and it's yeah. like happy new year. It's like happy the, new year for me. Exactly. What was the most unexpected thing that happened Sunday to you, Jarrett? Well, both teams, both teams that I uh, picked to win the Ravens and the lions, both were, uh, I w- both didn't run the ball when I thought they should be using that as their, as their crutch all game. Right. So when it comes to the Ravens, it, they kind of got out of out of sorts a little bit. I mean, they're a running team. That's what they do, mm-hmm. and that's I didn't see that. I didn't see that, and I know th- certain things dictate that and changes kind of what you have to do in your landscape in a game. And then also too, looking at the Lions and how they were running the football in that first half, and I know things changed a little bit. The 49ers came out, put some points on the board, then they fumbled the ball, and the game was tied after the Ayuk uh, touchdown. So then everything everything was crazy. And they got away from the run and started to get pass heavy. And so it was like, I think getting away from the run game and not establishing the run like you should with the Ravens, I think really threw me off a little bit. Um, I I, I got to tell you, if you actually look at where they were at, they, they should have won that game. If they score on the touchdown, they fumble. If he doesn't throw a pick in the end. 
they had opportunities, and they yeah. just it was because I thought I th- listen. I thought that the, the defense played great. I thought Mahomes played great. I thought Kelsey played great, but the, but the Ravens were were like they were thudding people. They were hitting people. They were also making dumb penalties and yeah. kind of these weird um, lack of discipline mistakes that really frosted me because. I thought they were better coached than that. Yeah, I did too, Molly. I mean, it comes down to at, at these moments, and especially uh, on on both sides. Well, you can't have those those dumb penalties. But then on the flip side, I look at the Lions, right? And man, Dan Campbell was always just striving, going for it all the time, it, it, being aggressive, being aggressive. That's what got them there. And then being aggressive is what got them sent home as well. And so mm. it's. It's it's a it's a balance that you have to, you know, sometimes you got to take the points. I understand the guys are behind you and you're like, oh, we're going to go for it. We've been doing this all year, but it's different circumstances, right? You, you're you're playing to be able to get to the final game of the year. Uh, and sometimes I understand the math and, and and all that stuff dictates what you should do. If, if that's the case for the Lions and some of those short fourth, uh, fourth downs, you're a running team. Run the football then. Put it if that's what you're good at. Put the ball in your running backs' hands, who have been running the ball, getting you seven yards a carry. Go ahead and go that way, then, if that's the case. But uh, they decide to put it in Jared Goff's hands, and and sometimes you come up short. As somebody who believes in Justin Fields and would be fine with the Bears bringing him back and sticking with him, Jared, did you see anything in Lamar Jackson's performance against the Chiefs that gave you pause, or you apply to the argument here in Chicago? No, not at all, Dave. I I didn't see anything. I just I got I saw a guy pressing, especially at the end of the game where things weren't going their way, and you know, especially that interception. Certain things where I'm like, hmm, I I would love to see him run a little bit more. Um, that's that's a part of their game. Like I told you, that they did not really truly establish with him, which I think changes the dynamics of how you have to be able to defend the Ravens, right? And so. Um, yeah, no pause. Uh, only thing, only pause is my son this morning was talking trash because they were uh, on TV. They were talking about Lamar Jackson having a tough time and he was saying something and I get very like in my feelings about these guys and how much they put into the game. And I looked at him, I said, I said, he said something like, man, Lamar's the goat. And he was joking with his buddy. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa slow down. I'm like, this dude's about to win his second MVP, Doug. Stop talking. Don't don't talk about him. And my son was looking at me and like with that one stare. And I said, yeah, your grandpa only won it once. So you know how hard it is. And my son, he didn't talk the rest of the way till he left to go outside. (laughs) How how hard it is, how tough it is that we break down these guys so much, but how tough it is to be able to say you're an MVP. And you guys know how I feel about my pops for him to only do it once. Like, yo. It is hard to do. So what is Lamar has done is phenomenal. But we on the outside are always going to break down. The fact is this was his best chance since he's been in the league to go to a Super Bowl and win one. And like you guys were talking about what Coach Juan said, it is tough to get back. Right. It is not easy to get back. The team's not the same. The drive's not the same. The, the situation of how you lost the year before sometimes sets in. Guys, you know, guys on the team, their 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 mindsets change. So it is 
really, really tough. It happened to my Miami team. Well, the Miami team I was on in 2000, we lost to Washington in the second game of the year. And then next thing you know, went on to play Florida in, in the Sugar Bowl. For us, it motivated us going into that next, going in the summertime, that nobody went home over break. Everybody was there. We were grinding. And next thing you know, eventually winning the Rose Bowl and the national championship the next year. But we didn't have any catastrophic injuries. We didn't have any of that stuff. We were lucky. And a lot of that plays in to getting back to that point or even getting back to a chance to be able to play for a championship. Yeah, I, I felt awful for Lamar Jackson because he's now two and four in the playoffs, right? He he didn't he, he's not the guy calling thirty seven passes. No. The the uh the offensive coordinator, uh Todd Munkin, did not do him many favors. But he's got six career interceptions in the playoffs to go with six touchdowns. So people who view him are looking at him as, you know, the tag of can't win in the playoffs. And especially when you're playing a guy like Mahomes, who's setting records for winning in the playoffs, youngest guy ever to get to the, whatever it is, 13, 14 wins in the playoffs, and is so composed and has been there so much and had so much success. He's like second coming of uh, uh, of uh, Tom Brady. I, I mean, it, it's extraordinary it's, his his composure, and that makes everybody else look bad. Molly, Molly, I'm telling you right now, man. 15's a bad dude. Oh. He is he is a bad dude. Like you can say what you want to say about him. People come and like ah, oh, you know he he's overrated. Da, da, da. Dude, this dude he for everything that that team went through all season long from, from the drops to all the other stuff, like seeing him out of character on the sideline, screaming, yelling, upset, all that stuff to where they are to get into the postseason. And him and Travis Kelsey are just like, yo, we're just going to flip a switch real quick. And we're going to take it back a couple of years and we're going to, we're just going to ball out. And man, you all, it's hard to bet against 15, man. And so he is, man, that's, that's the standard right there. And, and David, you were talking about, did anything give me pause about, uh, you know, Lamar's play? You know, nah, not really. But one thing did, it, for me, it stuck out is that, man, regardless of what you do at the quarterback position, whether you're going to draft one or you're going to keep um, Justin Fields, and everybody knows how I feel about Justin. Uh, I think you need to, it made me think, David, about that you still have to draft quarterbacks whether that's in the first round, whether that's in the second round, third round, I just, I, I feel like moving forward, that is a huge deal and what the bears need to do. And then not only just draft these quarterbacks, but find a way to be able to grow them, cultivate them and, 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 and have guys in your system. You know what I mean? Where you, you should be drafting quarterbacks every single year that fit your system until you f figure it out. And that's what I really thought about is how do you find how do you get the next Patrick Mahomes? Like, is he already here? Is he number one? Is he, is all these new things, which Shane Waldron and my guy, Kerry Joseph, mm. who I played with and played against in the CFL, are, are they going to be able to get the best out of him? But also moving down, if guys fit your system later in rounds that you feel like are good, you can never, to me, you can never have enough because at some point your starting quarterback is going to be out. And that next guy that, is going to have to step up, which we saw with Tyson Bajan this past this past season for the Bears. It's critical to be able to have somebody in that understands your system 
at some point they're going to have to play either one, two, or three or four games. All right, let's talk about Kerry Joseph. NFL safety with the Seahawks goes up to Canada and, as you said, had a very good career as a quarterback. And now he's yeah. a coach, the quarterback's coach. What is it about him that makes him an effective coach, and, and what do you expect his impact to be? Dave, he's a – man, he, when it comes – he's a, he's a all about ball, man. He loves football and around the game. I think his, his faith um, is one of the things that stands out to me of how he talks to people and how he sees life. But I also think if he's had those those ups and downs. He's been at every single level of the NFL, the CFL, NFL Europe. So he's seen so much that I think for guys that go through and do their homework on him and see what he's all about, they're going to be like, holy cow, he has seen it. So I think he's his his ability to connect with young men to me is what is so special with him. But he's been there. And I think uh, listening to him, there, it's going to be like, you know, I did this and this and this, but I also made these mistakes. I'm, I don't want you to make these mistakes and try to be able to coach uh, whoever's going to be at quarterback. But I think he's going to be a huge tool to uh, who, whoever's underneath center. And also, I think it's just an advantage of having a guy like that that has been all around the spectrum in the game of football. You know, we had a, a fun question this morning about looking at the Bears and where they're at versus other teams that are hiring coordinators in the offseason we know the eagles for instance both of their coordinators were uh, hired as head coaches after the super bowl and they were dissatisfied and fired both their coordinators um last year and so they've hired vic fangio and kellen moore to replace those coordinators and the bears of course added shane waldron and eric washington and it looks like that's, you know, not equal. How do you look at that? And do you have to keep in mind what they're trying to get done? Or do you think uh, some teams do better than others? Well, I mean, it, it, it was a weird situation, though, Molly, just to look at how this this whole thing went down. I mean, at the end of the season, we were all waiting for word about, you know, what Matt Eberflus's know future was going to be here in Chicago and then once we got it, it cemented in stone that we knew he was going to be the guy now you gotta it's it's a different feeling of who you're actually going to bring in here that's going to mesh with what the vision is for Ryan Poles and company so yeah it's always looks better on the other side but until we really see some results and 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 actually get going a little bit we won't know if it's going to be right or not and I think that's the reason why I've been so I've gotten to a point where, David, you and I were, you know, certain times of how I felt, you know, we would always go back and forth about the whole Justin thing. And I would tease you a little bit here and there, but I've gotten to a point of talking to you guys every single week that I'm fine either way they go with that, with the quarterback situation. And I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to let it play itself out instead of getting all hostile sometimes with people who are coming up to me talking or having heated conversations with people out in the streets about what the bear should do. <laughs> I, I'm going to I am going to give it time and I'm gonna be patient with this like I feel like we all should be and let's see how it plays itself out. I mean it's it's gonna it's gonna play itself out whether it's going to work or it's not, and then we can all discuss uh, what's going on there. But until then, I wanna see what these guys do. Like Eric Washington, like people that I know that know him say he's an he's an amazing man. 
um, and that he's he's when it comes to coaching and, and what his job is going to be because it's a different dynamic. Luce still wants to call plays, but he can't be in the meetings every single day. So he's got to find someone that he trusts to be able to be that that mouthpiece for him inside those meetings when he's got other stuff going on inside of Hallis Hall. So I'm I, I feel like he could be that guy. Let's let's see how how that works out. And Shane Waldron, he's he's got the he's got the biggest uh, spotlight on him because whatever quarterback they the Bears decide to go with, he's going to be tasked to be able to take this Bears offense into something relevant. And in, in, in an uptick in, in what we saw from this past season. So, and over seasons before that as well, it, it, it's time. So there's, it's a lot that we need to see first. And uh, it all looks good to me on paper right now, but we'll have to see once they hit the field. Great attitude, Jarrett. Appreciate your time. So we'll next week, we'll be talking to you from Vegas. You, you're going to be in I, Vegas, right? I will probably be at the sports book when I'm talking to you guys at that point. So yes. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's make it yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna roust you and wake you yeah. up early in Vegas. Well, time. you know, you, you always got to get up early to start betting on table tennis, so you never know what's going on. <laughs> Great stuff. You're the right, best. Safe Jared, travels. See you, buddy. <laughs> see you. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Pat Mahomes up for the Walter Payton Man of the Year. That would be terrific. Roquan Smith or the uh, Bears' own Justin Jones. Uh, that, that would be great. It's going to be given out on Thursday night at the NFL Honors, correct? And I believe that that's is accurate. going to be always a special occasion, always a great moment for Jarrett and the Peyton family. So, yeah, he's going to be on his way. We'll talk. Look forward to talking to him out there. It'll be a fun week. Yeah, no doubt about it. We should go out there and see him. We should be. We should just, jump. Yeah, Let's do it. We should jump. I think on we can that get a room. Wagon. Well, we're, <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? All right, we're going to bring in Corey Wooten, the uh, the former Bear. He was uh, coached by the new defensive coordinator. Eric uh, Washington was his position coach when he played with the Bears. And at Northwestern, I and, believe. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get into that, too. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 the score. How's it going, guys? I'm Corey Wooten. I'm a professional football player, and today we're going to talk about get-off. Putting possession of the second half. Here comes Martin, who throws down. Back inside the five. Pressure off the corner on the blitz. Has to throw it away and it's intercepted at the 49-yard line by Wooten. Looking, looking, going to be set. Wooten, Corey Wooten. Molly and Hall, Chicago Sports Rate Radio 670. The score, always fun to get a chance to talk to a former bear and Corey Wooten fits the bill and man, he's got a great connection to the new defensive coordinator was coached by him both in uh, college and the NFL. Corey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Yeah. Uh, very curious to know your thoughts on the new defensive coordinator hire, Eric Washington. And, and, and really, I, I don't know, what his role will be. He's not going to be the play caller, but he's got a, uh, he, he's the kind of guy with a strong personality. They talk about his ability to teach and to uh, communicate with people. What, what are your thoughts on that hire? Well, I think it's the perfect situation for the bears. Uh, Iberflus wants to continue play calling. And I think Eric Washington will be the defensive coordinator role as far as making sure everything um, is going smooth on the defense, but I think in particular he's going to be really instrumental in getting this defensive line to the next level. When we look at the defense, right, linebacking core played really solid. 
secondary. Defensive line, you know, with the exception of Montez Sweat, really didn't have the studs that we'd, we'd like to see. We talked about Jervon Dexter and his development. We saw him flash, but for him to take the next level, I think he's got to work on his pad level. He's got to work on his hands. And who better than Eric Washington that has experience in this Tampa 2 scheme as a defensive line uh, coach and being able to really teach you the fundamentals of the game. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's the perfect situation for the Bears because they really need to improve on the defensive line. And I think once they can do that, they can be a top-five defense. So in order to take this job, I think that you have to have – not really a sizable ego because you are the defensive coordinator in name only. You just described the responsibilities, and they're big ones, but you're not the guy that they're going to say, this is Eric Washington's defense. It's always going to be, if they are that top five unit, Corey, this is Matt Eberflus's defense. What was it about his personality that made you feel like this won't be difficult for him because he is somebody that is humble enough to accept it? Yeah, I, I think he, he is he is a really down-to-earth person. He's humble. But at the same time, I love the fact that he's more in line with that old-school mentality. A guy like Rod Marinelli, who he coached alongside of when he first got to the Bears, he's similar to that as far as, especially with the young guys, the established veterans, not so much, but the young guys really can take them to the next level. You have to get on these guys. And I think nowadays in, in coaching, I think people steer away from that, but I think that's one of the best things you can do, especially when I look at the Bears roster, some young guys, Jervon Dexter, uh, Zach Pickens, uh, Dominique Robinson, who's really in a critical year. Didn't really see the first two years, the kind of improvement or development that we wanted. So it's a huge year for him. So I look for Eric Washington to really work with these guys this offseason and help take, take the game to the next level. It's Mully and Haw, and we are talking to Corey Wooten, who joins us on the score hotline powered by IBEW Local 9, Chicago's original powerhouse since 1892. So, you know, we're always looking for hints, draft hints, who they're going to take, what do they need? And you see them bring in a guy that, as you say, can work well with young guys. Does that mean they're going to get a pass rusher? Does that mean as much as everyone is talking about a quarterback with the number one pick. Maybe at nine, they're taking the first defensive player off the board. Maybe they're getting themselves someone who can help with the pass rush. Do you, do you read into that at all, Corey, or am I once again uh, searching in darkness? Well, well, I think there is, there is a need when, when you look at the uh, team as a whole. I think the holes – really are on the defensive line. I think, you know, they have two positions, really an end opposite sweat and a three technique, especially in this Tampa two ski. You look, you look at all the years uh, back when I played, right? Tommy Harris, mm-hmm. uh, Henry Melton, you know, even back to the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers days, Warren Sapp, that Tampa two scheme really thrives with that great three technique. A guy I'm really intrigued by is uh, Johnny Newton from Illinois. I think he's an absolute stud. I followed him from watching Big Ten football. He's a guy that can really penetrate, get in the backfield. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking at him in that nine, uh, that nine pick, or potentially a guy like Jared Verse from Florida, who right. probably should have came out last year as well. So I would, I would be surprised if they don't address both of those defensive line positions this year, one in free agency, one in the draft. But I think when you're looking at the team as a whole, they're two positions away from on, on defense from being a really dominant team. 
when you look at the staff that's put together, we mentioned, obviously, Eric Washington, the defensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, Kerry Joseph, the quarterback's coach. So those are the three big ones. Chris Beattie today hired as a wide receivers coach additionally. What do you think about the staff additions overall, and how important is it for this team? Bears are a pretty young team at certain spots especially. How important is the staff with a young team? It's huge because I think, um, you know, when, when you look at Green Bay, right on the other side, they've done such a great job with developing their talent, right on the other side. Bears, especially offensively, have kind of struggled sometimes to develop young talent. So I love the addition of Shane Waldron. And, you know, obviously we have a quarterback situation to figure out whether they're going to rock with Justin Fields or they're going to pick Caleb Williams or one of these other quarterbacks. I think Shane Waldron is the perfect fit for either situation. Look what he did for Geno Smith's career, mm. you know, who came from the Jets and numbers were not good, wasn't playing well at all, and then all of a sudden has that 4,200-yard season and turned around his career, leading the uh, Seattle Seahawks to multiple uh, winning seasons. So I think he's the right guy for the job. And when we talk about his schemes and how he can draw stuff up and how he can create matchups, and what I love the most, especially because I know the offensive line did pretty good for the most part of the year, but what I love is his double chips coming out of the backfield, whether it's a tight end or a running back to help that offensive line to buy that quarterback some extra time. So I love some of his concepts, and I think he's the right fit. I think Eric Washington is a great fit, especially when we're talking about developing this young defensive line position. I, I think the Bears are primed for a good year. It's all about I think they need another receiver, and I think they need two positions on defense, defensive line, and then potentially a center. Um, I think if they can get those positions – I think they're primed for a really good year. I, I like that. I like uh, all those uh, needs that you list there. I I also am going to say ridiculously they need a punter that you can probably get as a uh, undrafted free agent if you don't have a late pick. Which exactly. right now they don't have some late picks. We'll see how that ends up. Um, we, you know, we're talking about the Super Bowl earlier, and we're talking about the two styles of quarterbacks in the game. And obviously you want your version of Mahomes somehow. Maybe you could have drafted him before Mitch Trubisky, whatever. Um, but you'd love to have that composed guy leading your yep. team. Alternatively, you could get, you know, a bunch of different potential Pro Bowl players to go with keeping the quarterback you have right now. You've got the yep. opportunity to either trade out of the first pick in the draft or take someone who's believed to be a generational talent going into this process. Where are you leaning and why? So I, I, I've been leaning on, on keeping Justin Fields. I, I, think he's, I think he's talented. I just think his development has been stunted by the coordinator situation. Mm -hmm. um, there's some areas he definitely needs to clean up, but I, I think he has all the talent in the world. I think – with a guy like Shane Waldron, he could take his, his game to the next level. And if, and if we're looking at the Bears last season, the, the way they were playing the last six weeks of the season, you can make an argument, and I think everybody is clear, that they were a playoff-caliber team, right? Obviously, you can't go through some of the games, um, but they were playing on a, on a playoff-caliber team level. And I just think they're a couple pieces away from being a really good team and making a run you know, in the playoffs and potentially for the Super Bowl.
You know, you know, Corey, you were drafted in, in the 2010 draft in the fourth round. I don't need to tell you that. Trent Williams was the fourth overall pick, and he's still playing. Do you look at him sometimes and you think, wow, that would be something to, to, that he is still playing and marvel at his longevity? Yep, exactly. It's, it's crazy to see because me and Trent were on a lot of the, the same uh, recruiting visits to the different teams. Because at the time, I was projected as like a second rounder. So I was, I was in a lot of these you know, first to third round uh, visits. So Trent Williams is on there with me, Everson Griffin, a lot of those guys. So Trent, Trent was an unbelievable athlete still to this day. Um, I think he ran a 4.69 at wow. 330 pounds. So um, oh my gosh. Um, I, like, you, yeah. you guys have seen the clips on, on YouTube yeah. or in, Instagram, like just his kick set. He still has unbelievable feet. And I think that's the thing. You know, when when you're talking about potentially maybe even getting somebody like him in the draft, I know like you know everybody feels good about the offensive line situation, but I think if you can get somebody like Trent Williams, that's going to be a guy that's that's going to be a franchise left tackle. I mean, that's a good situation either way. Like literally, when you watch him, it's very rare that he ever gives up a pressure or a sack. Like he he is he is locked down on that side, still in year 14, so. I think it's awesome to see what he's what he's able to do, and uh, you know, I think I think uh, especially when it comes to offensive line, like guys are playing longer and longer, especially in the in that left tackle position. Uh, Whitworth did that uh, retired what a year or two ago, and was playing at a really high level, right? You know, fourteen, fifteen years in the game, so it it would be good to have a, a lockdown staple. You know, I I like Braxton Jones. I think he's improved a lot, but you got to ask yourself the question. Is he is he going to be our franchise tackle for the next ten to fifteen years, um, or is he going to be a guy like Charles Leno? Right, it's going to be a reliable left tackle, great option, but I don't know if he's the long term option. He'd be one hell of a swing tackle. Exactly. Yeah, that would that'd be a good situation either way. I, question question for you guys, real quick. Um, I know everyone's been talking about you know. Uh, Lamar Jackson and his performance against yep. Patrick Mahomes. So I'm, I'm looking at the stats of it for a team in Baltimore, right? That's that was pretty well balanced, pretty run heavy team. Looking looking at the numbers and stuff, I'm kind of scratching my head on their game plan. Right, it's tight yeah. game. Lamar, yeah. I think they threw the ball 82 percent of the time. Yeah, 37 passes in that game, and and they exactly. did not use their running backs at they all. They get dominant. You know what happened? Honestly, I think they panicked. I think, uh, yeah. th- I think that that Kansas City put together a nine-minute drive and they wanted to get back in the game as fast as humanly possible, yeah. and and they just lost sight of who they are. And I, I, I mean, I don't. I think composure is huge. And I yeah. think when when you're a team that you got to prove you can win, you want to prove you can win with the quarterback. You, you you drove yourself out of your mind. You drove yourself out of your identity. Yeah, I think that's the problem because I think so many people are saying, is this running quarterback sustainable? Can he win championships? And I think, like, obviously Lamar, that interception at the end. But just when I look at game plan, I'm like, it would be like if Patrick Mahomes, if they had an 82% run and then, you know, the rest was his passes. You'd be like, what are you doing, right? His strength is passing. So I just think that the coaching is such an important part. So they'll put all the blame on Lamar and say, He's not good. Running quarterbacks aren't sustainable. What he's able to do is not sustainable. But they don't look at the coaching. The, the, the fact the coaches got scared and they completely diverted from their game plan, even though it was a tight game, 
all the pressure goes on Lamar. Nobody the coaching and say, man, they, they did him a disservice here. So that's, that's kind of what I think with, with Justin Fields is, is a lot of times like some of the play calls in that Vikings game during the season, how many swing screens did we see <laughs> back to back to back? Right. It was unbelievable. I think there were 10 to 12 swing screens in that game. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? So I think sometimes coaches, they get in their own head, they get nervous, they get scared. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, everything falls on the quarterback, good, bad, or indifferent. And, you know, Lamar didn't have his best game, but I, they, they still should have had a chance to be in that game. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I thought, you know, they were undisciplined. They had some dumb penalties, some horrible they flowers. personal fouls. I mean, say flowers. Oh. Getting the game tied up. Oh, even, even how do you lose that one? Great. You're right. You're so yeah. right. Yeah. It, that, was the, that was the play of the game. When he fumbles there, yep. that's it. Really good stuff, Corey. Great, Corey. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. You guys have a good one. You too. That is Corey Wooten. That's fun. He's right. Smart I mean, analyst. Yeah, no he question. He definitely has some real good experiences, too, in the NFL and going back to Northwestern. Good insight on Eric Washington. We're going to bring in uh, Dan and Lawrence. Just want to let you know we've got an injury update on Patrick Williams. He's been diagnosed with acute bone edema in his left foot, and he will immediately begin a period of active rest and be reassessed in approximately two weeks. Two weeks, so that's better than six weeks. Also, baseball news, John Heyman, our guy, reports that Justin Turner is going to the Blue Jays, $13 million, one-year contract, which, why is it important in Chicago? No, not because the Cubs were looking at him as Justin, as Dustin suggested. It's because... Now Matt Chapman has one fewer team to pick from. Um, I would like to immediately begin a period of active rest. <laughs> would that be? Would you, I mean, active rest. How about 16 more minutes and you can yeah, rest all, right, all you want? All right. Dan and the us next. It's Molly and Haw, the score. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. 
Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.